No, 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 no! Ah! Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, cause Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Coco Talk, episode two eight something zero two eight eight. <laughs> Total uh, Coco uh, Coco Potpourri today. Who knows what the heck's gonna happen? Coco Talk is rocking the eight world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Cause Coco Talk is rocking the eight world. <laughs> who wrote 280 on my script anyway that, that that was me sorry i think you need to fire your assistant <sighs> fire all of us and get a better crew hired help oh. these days just just i'm telling you <laughs> episode 288 for those who are actually trying to figure out what episode it really is yep I mean, I have a character on the screen, just had it wrong on the script for some reason, just had a flashback. Let's see, who we got here with us today? Um, top corner, we got Rick Uland. Hey, we're down with that pesky good weather. Welcome to Coco Talk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're winter's, way ahead of you here. <laughs> winter's arrived. Uh, let's see, Marco. Hey, I'm here. Wow. Glad to be here. And the weather's getting colder here, too. Yeah. Forget fall. Just go straight to winter. Um, let's see. Tim. Hey, everybody. Have you got Chicago 3 yet? Okay. And next over, Ron Delvo. Hello. Welcome to Ron's Garage inside of Coco Talk. Okay. Where, and then, where's my wrench? Wrench, huh? Okay. Um <laughs> L. Curtis Boyle, you're in center square today. I'm, I'm the free spot on a bingo card, or what does that mean? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show, everyone. <laughs> and... Hollywood Squares reference. All right. Yours truly, your uh, streamer and uh, guy who can't speak English. <laughs> or push the right buttons. I wouldn't yeah. go that far. You just speak it poorly. That's all. Speak it like a Canadian? Yay. <laughs> oh, next up, Ken Waters. I am here in spirit, but not in bandwidth. <laughs> all right. And Brian Weasler. Hello, all. Welcome to the show. Okay. And last but not least, Jason Record. 
Hello, hello. It looks like we're in Hollywood Squares mode here, so I'm going to go ahead and take Brian Weasler to block. <laughs> Damn. Okay. It won't hurt. <laughs> let's see. Uh, in the chat, we've got, uh, let's see, L. Curtis Boyle, Marco Twitch, Jim Rye, Tom Eric Gunderson, Canadian Retro Things, Kevin Holloway. Saying hello. Let's see. Robert Sieg, is it? I believe so. Okay. And Mark Siegel. Uh, yeah, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Coco Living. Mickey Mike. or uh, Mikey. Yep. And let's see. Grant, Our newsletter uh, editor. Okay. Grant. Grant uh, Bildo. Plato. Plato. Grant Plato. Okay. I got to room with him last Cocoa Fest. And, and Jim Rye is defi- denying that he's here. He said it's a filthy lie. Okay. So uh, that's enough butchering of names. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was finding that entertaining. Keep going. <laughs> oh, let's see. Uh, you know those must munching Asian guides have on YouTube where they teach you how to say a word completely wrong? You should star in one of those. <laughs> oh, let's see. Um, hey, there's a David Ladd spiting, sighting. Is he? Where? Oh, don't Where? say his name Where? too many times. Where? He'll show up. <laughs> David Ladd. There we go. Found that button. All right. Uh, let's see. First up, uh, we have a presentation from Brian. Ah, I'm on cue already? Okay. You're yep. on cue. <laughs> you wanted to be Project first. We can accommodate. I have to say I like the shirt too, Brian. Oh yes, yeah. This is the uh, I, I showed it uh, the week before there, but uh, um, why catching me off guard here? I can't remember the guy's name uh, on the dragon uh, page. There, there was a guy that had a post, and uh, he had a link to uh, link to the shirt there. So yeah, they're pretty nice. So yeah. Um, well, first off, um, I had uh, shared this the last time I was on. Of course, it's it's now bottomless because I'm kind of working on the project to build the cable uh, for this. And uh, Mr. Rick Euland sent me a couple of these little guys here. It's coming into focus there. It's a little little uh, little little card here, and it fits nicely right into where the uh, the mylar goes. And it has uh, the holes on top. And then uh, I had some of these I've actually had for about a year or so. It's the little edge card. Mm-hmm. And uh, it fits nicely right into uh, right into there. So between this and uh, ribbon cable, I'm going to try to make a, a cable to work for the uh, for the number jack, so I can get it hooked up and uh, and get it going. So hopefully, maybe in the next week or so here, maybe I might have a, uh, another little update with the number jack and actually have it uh, functional. Will you be able to demo a spreadsheet for us with that. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Demo <Wow>. ten key. <laughs> He's going to do his inventory. <laughs> there you oh, go. I, I, I sent the <laughs> game of the week spectacular. <laughs> okay. Nah, he'd have an unfair advantage. <laughs> you can demo our ratings by doing a bunch of subtracted numbers. There you go. <laughs> uh, I got a box here, and let me share what's what's in the box here. It's something that's been seen before. Scissors. Uh, scissors. Those yeah, boxes have a pull tab. Scissors. <laughs> yeah. Brian, those boxes have a pull tab. 
They do have a pull tab on them. Yep. Yeah. Uh, on the on the edge, on the other side, not that side, the other side. Mm. At least it used to. Yes, Welcome to Brian tries to open a box. <laughs> our new segment here on Coco Talk. You guys are you guys are messing We're unboxing with me the unboxing. No, no, I'm not. It, it really does, Brian. Okay, yeah, there is. It's on the side. So one of the sides. Uh, yeah. This is this is similar exactly. to what uh, uh, Sloopy had shown. I also ordered one of uh, Allen's okay. or AC eight bit zones. Um, Coco DV. Coco DV. So, let's see here. What are I got the full the full Monty there? So I got his whole package there. Um, because he offers a uh, a a ribbon cable, so you can uh, update the firmware and make changes. Uh, uh, to it. Ooh. Wouldn't this have been better had you already got it and put it in and showed us how it's working? Well, yes. yes. That's but, part two. <laughs> but all my stuff is uh, not organized the way I want it to yet, so I'm kind of limited on space. So, oh, okay. uh, But yeah, so uh, here's the... I think this must be the programmer because it has a little zip socket here. And then this is the actual Coco DV itself with the uh, HDMI out right here and where the video chip goes. Are you allowed to say HDMI? I didn't say anything. I said Coco oh. TV. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> and uh, then he also provides the, the video card with a nice little 90-degree angle connector. And then um, I think this is also part of the programming the here for connecting it. Because you get a, little, get a composite connector. So I uh, he sent some instructions, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it all hooked up and... Uh, I have a I have a Coco that I'm going to install it in. Uh, it's one that I currently have a Coco VGA in, so it'll be very easy. It's already socketed, so it'll be really uh, really easy to uh, to swap that out. So, looking forward to getting that going. Well, there's a pl a piece of plastic there that is uh, generally always given to cover um, the end of your plug or whatever. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Now, isn't that a useless piece of plastic? I mean, really, <laughs> did they have to sell that? You know. Well, maybe the other end maybe. doesn't have it, anything on it. <laughs> I mean, Weird. it helps it from getting crushed or something. Maybe I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> uh, where's my next box here? Uh, let's see. I'm trying There's to remember more? what's. Oh yeah, I'm trying to remember what's. Oh, I know what this. This I know what this one is. I I got two of them turned around. So we almost saw an address there. <laughs> this this one here, I was kind of I was really excited about. Was. <laughs> oh no! Well, I'm excited about. It. Oh, okay. <laughs> Again, it's another thing I haven't had a chance to really play too much with. So let me uh, get this out of here. Oh, I'm, I'm revealing a little too much there. Don't look too close. There we are. Here we are. Uh oh, this is got... packaged well. Yes. Can you, can you can you pop a couple of those for us that are crazy? <laughs> there we go. Does that that satisfy you? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> So this was kind of an interesting piece of technology. I stumped, I came across it. I posted about it. Had a lot of comments about it. But nobody had any offerings until Mr. Terry Stegey reached out to me. Anybody recognize this thing? No. Is that an Exatron? It is an Exatron. Stringy exactly. Floppy. Yep. So it uses a stringy floppies. And they look a bit like 
<laughs> they look a bit like this here, kind of a continuous tape type of a cassette. But it's a string. Uh, yeah, I've a never very used thin it. tape. I've never really used it before, so it'll be interesting to to see how this works. So, but it looks like it uh, just went right and into a floppy drive. This was a technology in the what was it the late seventies, early eighties that was trying to compete with floppies being faster than cassette and a bit more random accessy. Mm -hmm. And uh, it did it, it didn't win, obviously. Look where it got them. <laughs> it even has this pin right here. So let's see if I get this to focus. Exitron, it works really great. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a, it's a Pin that you can put on you know, your shirt. So. They couldn't think of anything more original than that for a local <laughs> from a trade show. Uh, something you can walk around at uh, Cocoa Fest with. I could. I could. So yeah, there was that there, but this year, where did it go here? Hold on. I got one thing that was kind of associated with that. So, what is the capacity of it? Um, I don't know yet. I haven't really uh, looked into it if it's, uh, you know, how many kilobytes of capacity. Did you get any manuals? No, no manuals. I haven't been able to find anything uh, manual related for it yet. 12K at a time. Oh. Yeah, I remember seeing one of these at the very first Rainbow Fest. I went to somebody had it at one of the booths. Uh -huh. but I've, I've never seen it before or since. Well, shoot. I had something I wanted to show along with that. I, I was running a little behind, and so I didn't get a chance to uh, have it ready to go. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Oh, by the way, Mikey in the chat says, wow, the last time I saw one of those was attached to a Timex Sinclair. Yes, yep. Um, with, in, in doing a bit of reading for it, um, it, uh, uh, it uh, yeah, they had different ones that uh, that connected. This one here just uses the floppy connector, but some of them had like an interface card that would work with different, uh, different models. Does the drive um, controller work with it? Just a regular one? I believe you can plug this into a floppy drive controller is what is, is, what it is intended. Yep, just like a disk drive. Yeah. Um, then I also bought this here. It even has the uh, Extron logo, and it's like a like a like a sleeve, like you might have for like floppies. So, so I got a couple couple. Uh, Do they uh, have well, any they, info on them? I haven't. Uh, I haven't had a chance to even power this on yet to see. So, the, what, these what here, I think these these are blank here. But um, yeah, okay. But the ones that Terry has, that uh, Terry Steggy um, set me up with. Um, they do have some labels on them, so oh, it'll be interesting so to see they, if there's anything. Have, they may have some data on it, so we'll. Uh, My we'll question see if is: mm -hmm. um, Do they power up and sound like a turbo, or you know, <laughs> what yeah. do they sound like? Oh, we'll, we'll have to find out here. Like I said, I haven't had a chance to to turn this on yet, so so we'll. Uh, uh, Phantom Ape in the chat, who I believe is James. Mm -hmm. Um. He said these were popular in the Model 1 for a short while because disk drives were expensive. I remember 80 Micro had big ads for them. Okay. And he said the Sinclair Spectrum had a similar, a smaller drive similar to that. Yeah, they just kind of, they kind of pop into the front there. It's not, not very heavy. There's the. So Wikipedia is saying you get tapes from 5 to 75 feet. So the cycle time depends on how much storage your tape's got. So you've got to guess how long can this tape be? <laughs> or it takes too long. Well, it's not a, really a tape, is it? It's, it's it is like an eight-track tape. Yep, it's, it's continuous. No, it's a it's a it's a flat. Uh, it, it's a really uh, so like a cassette tape. Think of it take, like taking a cassette tape and like cutting it into like thirds lengthwise. It's very. All right, sh show us. 
skinny like like a can, you, can you see it right here so yeah it, it basically goes from here and then it, it spins around and then just like a just like an eight track tape that it, it then feeds onto the outside but then spools off from the, from the inside spools it out of the middle and so is it yep. just one track or does it have many tracks i'm i would i'm assuming it's i mean it's awfully thin right. i'm trying to think if i have something here that might give gotta a, be a one track i would, I would assume one so Maybe yeah, they run. I'm tiny sure Google will tell scan. you. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. So, yeah, I saw an ad in the Rainbow Magazine, so I started uh, inquiring about it, and uh, so yeah, now you have it. Now I have it. Okay. Yeah, there there was two sort of s standards that were trying to be established. The Extron Stringy Floppy was the first one, and then I think the Amdeck was the next one that they were trying to do, which is kind of a three inch okay, yep. cartridge drive thing yes. which i saw i did see a few of those at rainbow fest back in the 80s but it also died in the three and a half took over when they say stringy thingy they're not really talking about um a thin wire well it's not a disc it's just a string or a it's a continuous tape basically like, like a like a continue yeah think of it like an eight track tape just much much smaller yeah where you don't have to rewind it you just let it keep going until you come back to where you want to load again tapey floppy was a bad name <laughs> <laughs> and then uh i've been messing Even around with really my uh, <laughs> i've been messing around with my tl866 here uh it's yeah. a common one out there that people have so Very that's nice an epron burner um, or what is that yep yes. it's be an epron okay. burner reader and uh um it's something i've always wanted to do and so i've been uh reading some proms lately um i uh um have you had a chance to do anything with the ones i sent you tim yeah, I just brought them up in my test driver and um, uh, um, tell him what you sent me. Um, so he was, uh, we were talking the other day and uh, Tim had, was looking for some CDOS. And so I happened to grab a couple ROM cartridges that I had and uh, there was a couple different flavors of CDOS uh, that were on them. And so Yeah, you I, had a Disco Super Controller 1 that had some wonderful uh, copies of old um, CDOS from Disto. So I've, I sent those to Tim. He's going to try them out and then uh, eventually I'll get them up onto the archive here. They're all upload them there. So, yep. yeah. Fin finishing off my uh, Super Controller 2 uh, emulation and MAME and and the uh, mini expansion bus that it also contained. Neat. Yep. Yeah, they, uh, let's see. Here's the controller that I... Uh, probably not going to focus in on this, but... Uh, this is uh, this one here says um, uh, this is just this is just a regular Coco DOS, and then this one says Coco two C DOS, and then a version four. This one here says Coco three C DOS, and it was a version one point two. So I read these two uh, EPROMs. I know they're not the, the lights kind of making them not very visible, but uh, yeah, that's a Super Controller one that has a software selectable four different ROMs that you could choose. I believe there's also a, a dip switch on the outside that you can. You can pick with, and it nope. and that that also has the it also has the um, uh, mini expansion board for real time clock serial and parallel. Yep. Yeah, just yeah. sold a bunch of uh, little mini expansion buses. They call them MEBs, and they sold a bunch of like you know a real time clock by itself. They had two and ones, three and ones, four and ones that had different functionality. It was kind of like a mini A bus almost. I found in the documentation that they even had one for a um, uh, extra uh, video terminal, but I, I haven't seen one in person or in photos. You mean the eighty column? One? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. I have one of those. There's no switch to switch, you know, on the. 
Oh, cabinet. it's all software selectable? Yes. yes. It's all, oh, I thought there was a switch on it. No. No switch. Do you have any ROMs in yours that are interesting, Ron? I have, I have four ROMs. My first one is uh, CDOS. Second one is uh, ADOS, custom made. Mm -hmm. And then um, I have uh, J, um, J, J and M DOS. You know, oh, yeah, that's yeah. another. Yeah, and then yeah. Um, Radio Shack DOS. Oh, I'd love to get copies of those if you can dump mm. them. Well, I probably could. Help you with that. Maybe I'll PM you. It's not hard, I guess. <laughs> And then I, uh, I beg and plead. <laughs> so then here's a here's another item here. This was uh, this was kind of a fun one. I, I have one of these, but this one was in excellent shape, um, and the price was really right because they had it listed incorrectly. Um, so oh, quickly see what this is here. I have one of those. Uh, I sold mine recently. So this what one the here. Heck did you do that for? I'm an idiot. Uh, oh, there it is, right there. How much did you get? Did for? you list it correctly? <laughs> <laughs> this one was listed as an Atari, and the Atari ones are—I don't want to say a dime a dozen—but they're very, very common out there. Um, but they had this one li listed, and it clearly says uh, TRS-80 on it. Yeah. Um, I should have the DIN connector if it is. Yeah. The In picture, one. yeah. Oh, you got the real, yeah, that AC um, power right supply. Oh my gosh, that's a really long cable, if I remember too. Yeah, it's like nine foot or eight foot long, so yeah, you can kind of sit back and play the game well, there. Why so. would you even need one? This, well, the, the uh, some of them... <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, are you talking about why would you need the power adapter or the trackball? Well, I guess both would work, wouldn't it? Well, some of the games do work well with the trackball. Not not all, but uh, there are yeah, some like, games that... Like really Ron's well. favorite game, Defense, actually works really well with this because that's what the original arcade game used was the trackball for Missile well, Polaris might why, be fun. Why do yeah. you need the electric? What, the okay, extra? well... Well, yeah, because it does require power. This one, these do have electronics inside them. Uh, some of them do not, because uh, I'm assuming either a that doesn't need electronics or is able to get the power it needs from, from the computer the, from, from the computer itself, but not okay. on the cocoa. So you and wouldn't need to plug that needed. in for the cocoa. Is that what you're saying? Yes, this does plug yeah, into the cocoa. Yep. Yeah, I have one, but you don't need to have the power supply plugged in for it to work. Yes, you, you do. do. Need you do. That, you, the you do have, to have the power. Put, Coco can't put that much power out the back of it to run much electronics. So it's like what, 50 milliamps? I mean, it's nothing. The, the, the entire milliamp output max from both joystick ports combined is 100 milliamps. That's it. And that's not much. So, and the Black Beauties work perfectly without it, without the uh, power supply. Well, yep. there's, yeah, the only electronics that are inside ball. the. Right, because the, the the joysticks, um, you're just basically it's just uh, two potentiometers as a voltage divider. Right, and so and the, there's, there's yeah, there's no electronics really running on the inside. So to and speak. what what makes this work? Well, this here does have a circuit board in there because I think what it's doing is it's taking there's a like an encoder that's that's in the in the x and the y direction, and it's taking that and then generating yeah. the, the like, range like of voltage that what's that like a mouse. Like a mouse, exactly. Yeah, you turn that upside down and you got yourself a mouse. There you go. A honking <laughs> <Yep>. big one. Big honking heavy one. If I remember, though, the electronics on the inside, I think it's not as jittery as a, as a regular mouse, if I remember. I haven't used is it in a while. Is that ball hard like a... It's, it's like a cue ball. ball. It's yeah, a cue ball. 
It's, it's about the size ball. of a cue ball. Yep. So if you lose a cue ball, you know, playing pool in the bar, you can always, <laughs> you know, take it out of here and temporarily yeah. use it. So <laughs> there you go. It is a cue ball. It's it's quite nice. But yeah. it was, it's perfect for analog style games like centipedes and uh, missile commands. Um, yeah. The real question is is what use is it for in an Atari or in a joystick where or a Commodore where they they don't have analog sticks. Yeah, because it basically just left, right, up, down, right? That's all on your deck. Oh, I'm sorry. The Atari does have analog sticks. The Commodore does too. It's actually oh. processed by the sound chip for the paddles. But yeah, oh, okay. There's, there's only one button on it, though, huh? Right. Yeah, yeah it's a Coco One Era. Yep. Okay. Device. I always missed it. Doesn't have a like a run mode, if you will, where the speed of the ball sends. You know, it's at least I never like did. modern mice do. They have that geometric progression. Of how well, fast so, like, you move remember the, the old football games where to run, you had to spin the heck. Yeah, you'd rip the skin right off your hand trying to. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When it got caught, the Atari football. When it got caught in the crease. Yeah. I wonder, could you uh, could you take this thing and plug it into a high res and use it in yes, the EO, EOU? Yes, you can. As a mouse, there you go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it works. Uh, in fact, I, I I used a serial Logitech uh, trackball PC keyboard. On my TC9 for a long time, I had a trackball built in kind of the same way. Mm, now, nice. one of the one of the interesting things, Brian, if you ever want to plug that in and give it a try, is, is to try it with the new software high-res mouse uh, or high-res uh, uh, um, subroutine Driver, to, see, yeah. to see if it works with that. Okay, yeah. It, it should. I've, that's something I personally have not tried. I don't know if Nick is. I don't know. Does Nick have a trackball? I think he does have a trackball. He could probably try it. Who, me? Yeah. Oh, did you finally no, show I up? Never touched cool, no. <laughs> what are the what are the two two cables they show on the front of the? That's this is just this is just the uh, the power this is just the power plug and then this would be your joystick cable. Oh, okay. Yeah, and Wyco made a whole range of uh, joystick style devices for the Coco. They've, I think Nick's favorite one is. Do you have the, is it the red ball or the thin stick one? I can't remember which one you like. Um, the thin stick uh, Wyco is my favorite. Okay, because they also have like the red ball, so it's kind of like the arcade ones with the red ball on the top of the handle. Yeah, yeah I've got the thin stick. Wouldn't it be cool if Wycos were made in Waco, Texas? <laughs> I got a Wyco from Waco. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, next thing, Waco. the next thing I'd like yeah. to show, and uh, this is one that I kind of uh, hinted at Ken, Ken about, Ken Waters. If he's, if Ooh, he's, I heard my name. Yep. So this was actually in a discussion, oh, several months ago that we had. And I knew I had two of them, but I didn't have the other two. And I recently have the full set now. So the uh, Magic Micro Adventure books. So oh, book, yes. number, book number one here would be the Captain Kid and the Pirates. And then we have uh, Super World. So those are those are uh, the um, younger versions of the uh, micro adventure books that have computer programs in them that you have to type in to continue in the books. So yeah, so it's you, a, yep. Like like yeah, like Ken's saying, it's a story, and th th they were made for different models. So these were intended to either be used like with an Apple, a Commodore, Vic twenty, Atari, and the, uh, the the color computer. And when you type, what you do is you basically read the story. And you come to a point uh, in the story here where it has a key in program. And then you run the program and you might answer the question or uh, whatever it prompts you. And then that would kind of lead you through to 
to the to the next uh, part of the uh, part of the book there or the next part of the story, and you just kind of continue on. So it's kind of a like an adventure story, but it's intended to kind of teach basic programming at the same time. Hmm. And in the back here, they have um, if you some models of computers. Uh, the basic statement, your computer might not have it. So it says, okay, if you have a color computer, change this line to that line sort of scenario. So that way the program would run. Like but there was a force of CLS or something like that yeah. in a different base. Exactly. And so, so there was four, much, there was how four much books. How much are in, the cheat sheets and the, and the disk drive, uh, just floppy for those? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they sold floppies. The programs are so small, you were meant to type them in to kind of learn as you went. So. Yeah, but some people are lazy. <laughs> so, so to, and by some people to, mean Ron. Just yeah, so you know. Ron. Ron can pay me to type them in. There you go. <laughs> so, Ken, did, I can't remember. Did you say you had a couple of these? Or no, I don't have any of those ones. I have uh, about half the collection of the um, older version ones for the older okay. kids. Okay. I know I sent you a couple there. Um, yeah, you did. We'll have to touch base and see which other ones you don't have because I do have a. I think I have a couple other duplicates of the other ones. So we'll. Uh, okay. If I can help you out there. So. Sure. So, but yeah, this was just some uh, some other books I wanted to uh, add to my collection there. So, the fun way to learn programming when back in the eighties. Yes. <laughs> and then I guess got one last thing here I'd like to share. Oh. Uh, and then, uh, uh, I can I could keep going if you guys want to. I can spread I can spread it out. You know, we'll just uh, we'll just keep going and going. So. Show filler. <laughs> I won't lift yeah. the box up on here though. I. Just uh, um, oh, hold on here. It's kind of an awkward box, though. This was a. I'm always looking for good, good boxed equipment that comes in the box. And so, is there anything revealing on the front of here? Oh, it does have a person's address, though. But were those the noises that uh, Adrian Black did when uh, picking up that uh, TI expansion board? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's that got is, a copyright on those. You need to be that, careful. That is a that's change, almost as bad as that big joystick you handed off there. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> so this is a, this was just a nice boxed cocoa. Uh, nothing, nothing really fancy about it. But I haven't seen what the condition is other than what I saw on the listing. Live on tape. Oh boy, they oh they got tape happy on this one here. Hold on, guys. Hey. Looks like a first gen cocoa two with the melted keyboard from the. Cover Today, on part two it's of Korean, Brian tries to open a box. I thought Koreans <laughs> had full height keyboards. Well, the box is Korean because it's the uh, the white with the red rather than the red, white, blue. So oh. that's the team of both of the manuals, which is always yeah. nice. Well, to that's get a full there. keyboard in there. That's a tandy yeah. one. That might even be a Coco Two B. It's so white. Can you turn down something? Yeah, or? yeah that's yeah. a good shape. I gotta <laughs> yeah, say. Yeah, we're not used to that much. Uh, Looks nice. Look at how Ooh, white it is. it is. Ooh, a second oh, one. A second one. Looks about from Radio Shack. Yeah, it's an Archer. Oops, sorry about that. I'm always like, sometimes people have the boxes though, but they're not uh, they're not the actual model or the serial number. Somehow it got you know right changed or whatever mismatched. So, yeah. yeah, we definitely have to see the serial number on that puppy. It's like getting uh, a, a matching numbers car, right? Yep. My yeah, that that keyboard definitely does not match the box. Yeah. Ooh, a white sticker, so it's been opened. It ha yeah, it's been it's been opened there. Um, but yeah, it's the serial number two nine seven zero three one. It's a twenty six dash thirty one twenty seven B. Yep, it's got the T one in it. And the yeah, T one case built yep, in. Yep. And uh, 
Kind of hard to angle my camera though, but on the edge of the box here, it yep, does, does have the matching serial number there. So, oh no, it has the old keyboard on the box then. That's, that's a keeper. That's yeah, a good it, two years what, before this this version. Came. It, 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 it might have been a, maybe a repurposed box because it does yeah. have the label. It does have the label over the front of the box. Curtis, let me tell you about printing and how printing works. <laughs> ever bought you paper. I had no experience at all there. So. Asparagus, asparagus. Well, what? one it's thing about see it, though, but is that a, a sticker right too? Here. They changed yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it, it's like maybe Raider Shack re reused the box. Yeah, it looks like they did because they taped over the 16k with 64k too. It looks like. Yep. Yep. They did. In our next Everything. show, we'll remove that label carefully to see what they printed. <laughs> Get the hair dryer out. No box. <laughs> well, that's kind of Don't let Brian do it. It'll take forever. Well, and I kind of <laughs> wonder about because, like what you guys were saying, this has the B on it, which is the you know the T one. T one. Um, I wonder if maybe it wasn't sent in and then they upgraded it while I was at the service. And oh then... no, no, no! They'd have to change out the whole motherboard. Oh, to do that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. The, the VDG T one does not have the same pinout as a regular VDG, so you need the new motherboard to put it in. That's but true. they could have upgraded oh. 16 to 64. I got two of those babies. But if you oh. sent it in, they wouldn't have probably relabeled the box because you. No, that had to be eh. a previous owner. So, but no, this, I just really like this one. It was super clean. Yeah, it was yeah in the it factory upgrades. But if you look yeah. down through the vents, has that got the uh, daughter board upgrade? Ooh. Uh, is that the one that has the silver back on it? It has the silver metal. Metal yeah. silver. Yep. Well, the RAM, RAM would have actually a little daughter board, not just chips and sockets. Yes, this does have tell. the daughter board there, and I, I can't see the chips, but I see the back of the board, which has the foil on it. Yeah, that so that would be the 64K uh, upgrade. A 16K would have been um, uh, just the two chips in the socket. Yeah, uh, but the, 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 the 64, 64. Did they have the T1? No, the T1 did not come as a 16K. That's right. They were all 64. Hmm. And yep. and if you look in there, especially through the cartridge slot, would probably be easier to see. The uh, 27B um, does not even have the rails for the daughter board. I know. I got two of them. <laughs> and I got, of course, Pedro's uh, uh, SRAM upgrade for up upgrading this Coco 2B so I can <clears throat> do some experiments and I have to unsolder every chip. <laughs> Yeah, and add have, the rails. This has uh just has the nylon standoffs is all it has in there. So, yep, and yep, I can see the memory chips on it. So that so that one has the daughter board. Yep. Yep. Well, at that at this time, that was during that big RAM crisis thing there, where they basically tried to make it so they could use forty one sixty fours on the daughter board or forty four sixty fours, whichever was cheaper and easier to get at the time when they wanted to do the upgrade script. Mm hmm. The other nice thing about this thing here, and I don't always like to talk about price, though, but no one bid against this, so I got it for $10.40. Oh, nice. That was the, I guess, just the icing on the cake for this That's one. So. <laughs> yeah, it's in so, pristine condition. It's a, the T1 model with the true lowercase. And... Now, is that the one you're going to put the Coco DV in? Uh, this one's not, but I mean, I, it, uh, um, I already have a Coco 2 that I have the... Uh, the, the VGA in because it has the the socketed uh, the socketed chip on it. Now, I mean, not if this was socketed, maybe I I might go ahead and and put that into it. But no, this wasn't the one I was considering mm. uh, doing. Well, I my just, question: uh, the DV plugs in with into the VDG slot, right? Correct. Because then you piggyback the VDG back on. Does it even work with the T1, or is there a separate version of the board for that? Because the pinout's different. 
Ooh. Mm. I'm not yeah. sure because I because I know Alan when he when he uh when you order it, he wants to know whether you know what version of uh of chip that you have. Mm. Okay, so you must have a different make of it for the swap pinout. Cool. So you're you're gonna have uh one Coco two where you can go back and forth between the two VGA or um digital video solutions? Well, I don't know if I'll be going back and forth between the two of them. Right now, I just I just know that I can pop the cover off that one and and throw this in there relatively easily without having to uh, uh, you know to either solder in a chip or desolder or anything like that. So I was going to do it just just to try it out. But um, eventually, yes, I'd like to have different Cocos set up with different uh, third party editions, whether it's the Coco VGA, the the Coco DV, um, maybe it's a memory upgrade. Um, you, do you have a Super Sprite FM Plus board too? Or? Yes, I do. Yep, the Super Sprite. Yep, that uh, John Whitworth made. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. I have that. Wow. So I do want to try that out and uh, and have that all set up. So I just, like I said, I want to have different uh, different setups with different machines that I can just pull and either play with or test. Or someone to, you know, someone wants to try something out, they could send a file to me or a game to me, and I could try it with different flavors or different things, and just uh, and then uh, of course uh, going back to the whole, the uh, the video stuff that I like to do too. Um, YouTube videos can kind of show some of these uh, different uh, hardware in, uh, installed in, uh, in different Cocos. Yeah, we're almost starting to get too many standards again for uh, video. Gonna <laughs> 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 be whoever gets the software out first. I guess Coco VJ's kind of got a lead. And, uh, with Super Sprite, of course, they've got some of the AGD game packs. Now, in fact, a new one will be in the news there. The Game On News uh, was just released this week, too. So. Mm-hmm. And I know well, Alan's Kurt- got his Pac-Man demo going. Well, Curtis, one of the things I know is if you're looking for extra features, you can choose one or the other. But for some of us, we got the Coco VGA or the Coco DV for one primary purpose to actually be able to use a more current display. Yeah. Yeah. No, I realize that's probably the main reason most people get it, but all the extra features. And we've got several with sprites now and stuff. So it's. Mm hmm. And as they become more popular, you know, then uh, you know people might start making games to take advantage of those things. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's where the Coco VJs got a few games already enhanced for it, like some of the uh, Infocom Adventures, etc., are already running in eighty columns, etc., or whatever, or sixty four columns, I should say. Um, the Super Sprite's got the AGD game packs. The fourth one just got released. That's sixteen games, I think, now that are available for it that actually use the sound and the graphics from it. And uh, Alan's got his little Pac Man demo there that he's got with music and with the sprites and the hardware scrolling and stuff too. So well, some support is just, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see which one becomes the quote unquote standard. Right. If any of them um, do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I don't know if that's necessary, you know, a bountiful of riches. Yeah. But I'm assuming Question one will pull away at some point. Of course, David there's chip Ladd. shortages affecting some of these too. So does David Ladd have a super sprite board? Negative. Okay, are you are you waiting for the uh, Super Diet Dr Pepper board instead? <laughs> Funny. No, that's, all I, that's all I have to share with you, gentlemen, today. Fantastic. Thanks, Brian. Pretty cool yep. stuff in there. I'm really interested to see your uh, number jack working to see how tight is that connector going to be when you try to merge the regular keyboard and the. The number jack went together and tried to slide it into the slot, the keyboard slot. Well, that's what I kind of liked about the uh, the little board there that Rick sent me is that it's uh, it's relatively low profile. 
So um, you know, should be able to get that ribbon cable kind of in a little bit of an S fashion going to the side there and then um, attach the ribbon cable to the other side or the um, that goes to the number jack. So it should be relatively low profile and not not really raise the height too much. So it should work well. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yep. You're welcome. And speaking of Mr. Rick Uland, I believe you had a project update and or acquisition. Oh, just uh, I'm moving ahead. So I had worked on, you know, this little made up SRS latch. And I got my pin set all the right way around. And it didn't take but a few small trace cuts. <laughs> <laughs> To run I around. see modge wires. Modge wires. To the other side and a few more trace cuts and a little X-Acto knife work. Um, but anyway, I think I've got all of the necessary changes done. It checks on the meter. Now I've just got to make it work on a cocoa. So uh, moving and grooving. This, by the way, is the network card with the boot ROM. So that would make it a standalone useful device on a cocoa. Cool. Some place to get your boot file from, like Drybar. What's that all about? Boot <laughs> a boot when it's a boot. So we're moving in that direction, and winter's coming, so I'll probably get it done while the snow floods. Anything further on the Orc 180 thing too? Um, that's that thing. I, I'm I've got to figure out a way to make good triangle or you know sign or at least triangle waves so I can get all the audio stuff balanced before I commit it to the board and I want to send both of these together. So I cut down on my shipping and engineering fees and things like that. So it's all going to come together at once, I think. Okay. I was just asking on behalf of Nick, cause I think he fell asleep again. So. Yeah. Well, I'm still, I'm still yeah, swimming. You <laughs> <laughs> just found it's too expensive to do one thing at a time. You've got to double up to, to make up for yeah. the cost of just getting an order going regardless of what's in it costs more than what's in it so <laughs> if you didn't leave, live at the north pole i guess it'd be okay no well, not me <laughs> on the great lakes you, you were anywhere yeah. I, I, I think pole. i'm closer to the north pole than rick is well, i was it's thinking it looks more like santa you know and he's busy well, yeah there is that mm -hmm. <laughs> i show up on my on my red sportster driving through the parks in november and kids all get a laugh out of it Tell them I'm on vacation. <laughs> Still on vacation, kids. Leave me alone. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Does That's anybody cool. else have any project updates or acquisitions they wish to show off or discuss? Ron's, Ron's garage is ready. Okay. If there's no more project updates or acquisitions, we'll we'll do that next. And it doesn't look like there is. So, Ron, I think you'll be on. Uh, did you want to play the intro, Mark, or do you have it handy? Uh, it's not... Uh, Queued up in uh, Steve's okay. newest okay. uh, one. You're, you're we'll go straight into Raw Ron. You're not dis disrespecting me at all, no. <laughs> hey, you get a spotlight anyway. Okay, there I am. Yes. There he is. Okay. I uh, noticed this <laughs> crazy thing. Apple Tanga computer for 200 and that looks like uh, 27B2, by the way. Um, yeah, what does that have to do? What's the Tanga, first of all? And that's I, not an Apple in the slightest. They, they didn't look. 
You know, they just said, oh, look, a computer. My guess is he doesn't he doesn't even own this computer. He found a picture on the Internet. Yeah. Found something that Googles and pretends to sell it. And maybe well, it looks like it may be a girl, Tony. Okay. He, yeah. she, it might not yeah. be either one of those. You don't even know. <laughs> there may be that nothing was... truthful at all involved in this. <laughs> it may not. Yep. Then there's this ad that showed up. <clears throat> I thought I'd put, put it on my site here. Puyan, this is, uh, I guess, it's been in many different computers. But, uh, yeah, if you look in the last paragraph, it lists all the platforms that it's going to come out on, same as they did with Zaxxon with the full-page ads. Yeah, but that's great artwork, isn't it? It's just yeah. how it is. Yeah. And this is from before Tandy got the rights to sell it, which they discontinued selling it directly from Datasoft. It appears to be the wrong colors. Yeah, right, was, right. Exactly. Isn't the shocking pink supposed to be everywhere? <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm too fast for you, Ron. Yes, you should you Photoshop that ad and make it the right colors, <laughs> just so it's truth in advertising. <laughs> yeah, really. So I've been fooling around with the 16K machine, and um, it's just basic. And I throw different cartridges in, and, and the uh, analyzer, which is working behind me, um, works just perfectly with 16K basic. Which I remember it actually works with 4K basic. Does it really? If you're running a cartridge, yeah. Oh wow. wait, maybe not. The semi graphics might have been too high. I can't. I can't remember now. Actually, I think it does, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Well, and also since pre- you've got 1.1 basic, you can actually do 8 bit printers. Oh, cool! Mm-hmm. Didn't know that. <laughs> That's cool. Hey, Ron, do you have your um your your meter your cocoa meter back there hooked up to your audio? Yeah, to the audio of the show. Yeah, I do. Oh, it must be um, delayed. Okay. Here's a um, picture I took of the uh, eclipse on my telescope and how that translates to the cocoa is <laughs> it's a high color picture now. Nice. It came out okay. I guess it's not all that good because it's a lot of fine detail in the moon. But there it is. It even come up on the uh, VG6 view. And um, that's what it looks like on the machine there and on the three here. And then um, I'm playing around with my Coco VGA, and it's always really cool to change things around, and and that really looks neat, patriotic colors. And then um, I did get from uh, Mr. Weasler this gadget for my uh, MC10. It's the MCX32. And um, yep, got it working. It uh, loads stuff in. <sighs> I had a problem at first loading in the wrong kinds of programs. I was putting in the ones that had a underscore 4N, and they didn't work. The C10s work, so I fixed that. It has uh, how much K here? 26K available? Yeah, the, the card's basically a 32K RAM upgrade plus an SD uh, card yeah. slot that has a built-in sort of mini DOS to handle accessing the stuff on the card. Right, 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 right. A whole lot of fun. Just you can. There's just so many games and things to play with. It's a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of adventure stuff, and uh, it's just fun. Then I did some 3D stuff on the Coco, and it actually works with the red and um, blue glasses that I got from eBay, or no. Um, Amazon. And um, it works, even on the Coco 3. Just pops right out. Pretty cool. Alphabet. 
they look like they're floating in front of a white sheet. And that's about it, guys. Thank you very much. Cool. Yeah, there it is back there. Yeah, 3D glass is something I experimented. I think I mentioned last week. I experimented with a bat a bit because P mode four artifacting colors gives you red and blue. So if you have the right tint of blue, it actually you can do that even in basic programs. And I sort of page flip between, you know, drawing a 3D block or something like that and shipped one off a little bit. And it actually would pop out of the screen. I never did yeah. any games or anything with it like uh, Steve York did with Warfighter 3D, but uh, it definitely does work. And I think, was it Hot Cocoa? Somebody in back then in the 80s in one of the magazines actually published uh, a 3D program using those glasses too. Neat. It's a lot of fun. Cool. So, do you want to go on to game on results? Is uh, Ken still here? Does he still have bandwidth? Yes. Yes, I think I do. And he's still awake. What? Who said that? Oh, David yeah, he's, he's got a definite advantage over Nick there, so. <laughs> okay. We'll just run the high score then. Welcome everybody to the Coco Talk Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Electron with a total of 18 players. We had David Ladd with 2615, Mark B 3580, Justin Larson 4155, Joshua 5105, Ed Rhodes 5580, Rich N 6510. David Craker, 7355. AC's 8-bit zone, 8165. Mr. Dave, 6309. 10355. Jim Rye, 10440. Sloopy Malibu, 10885. Canadian Retro Things, 10950. Sabhead, 14965. Shenley, 15050. Brian Walsh, 15225. Tasman, 22,070. L. Curtis Boyle, 24,705. And the number one score this week was... Buck Owens with 25,925. Thanks everybody that played this week, and we will see you again next week. Coco Talk salutes Buck Owens. Oh, you almost got it, Curtis. Yep. Yeah, Buck Owens came in at the last minute and beat your score. Hey, thanks, David. This so isn't even my favorite Tron game, so the fact I got second, I'm, I'm pretty stunned, to be honest. <laughs> okay, so looking through some Rainbow magazines, I managed to find a score for this, uh, 40,650. And since it's somebody from Canada, it's a believable score. <laughs> because canadians are honest people yes yeah. exactly no i think forty thousand is not beyond the possibility realm of possibility so and for those that don't know canadian geography hinton's a small little town uh between edmonton and jasper yeah 
Oh, in the middle of nowhere, Alberta. Where's Edmonton? In the middle of nowhere, Alberta. Yeah. Oh, wait, it's that's a couple just hours Alberta. Calgary. <laughs> that's Alberta in general, middle of nowhere. And I of lived there the person, for 15 years. Yep. <laughs> and the person right above is from Ontario. Yep. Well, by the way, I kind of wanted to thank you for calling out Sloopy for being late yet again on, on submitting his score. Of course, no problem. <laughs> I will call you out if you if, if you're late on submitting your score. And that so that was from November of '85's issue of Rainbow, and in the May '85 uh, Rainbow, there was a review for Electron. Um. I don't know. I never saw. Did uh, the archive actually have the instructions for this game? Because I didn't look. I didn't look either, to be honest. I do have a Xerox copy somewhere, so I'm pretty sure it is in there because I would have uploaded it already or it was already there. It did have it. I just missed getting my score in. Anyways, apparently apparently in this, the four sub games are called Beam Buggy, Prachnid, Force Field, and Maze. So I guess that differentiates it's from the actual arcade game. So there's no copyright infringement. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Games were famous for that. (laughs) The reviewer said the graphics for Electron, very simple, but uh, this is actually a version that fits in 16K, so they can't be too complicated. And the sound's okay and not annoying like some other games. And the playability playability depends on which sub-game you're currently on. So... And he ended up getting his 11-year-old son to uh, review, give his review of it. And his 11-year-old son said, Beam Buggy is the best, which I agree with. Prachnid is easy, which I also agree agree with. You don't even have to kill anything, but you also don't get any points for it if you don't kill any of the bugs. Uh, Force Field is hard because the joystick, that's on the upper levels, it gets hard to actually aim properly. And Maze is good because it's hard to beat. Well, I didn't think Maze was good. I got annoyed with it, but it was the hardest one to beat. It was the one I heard you complaining about the most during the live game on Challenge. Yep. (laughs) Anyway, so that was the review. Um, Kind of a neutral review of it, I guess. And here I have some footage of Mr. Dave 6309's um, palette modified. Palette modified. This is his RGB one. Let's see. Here we go. Uh, yeah. So if you don't know this game, it's uh, based on the Tron game, which is based on the Disney movie Tron, um, where you have basically four. Sub games, I guess, for small games that you have to play uh, that all relate in some way or the other to the movie. So, um, I don't know what else is there to say about it. it. It's 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 fairly faithful to the arcade game, and the arcade game had that unique where you drove around with a joystick, but you also had your spinner for adjusting the angle yeah. of your shots, which you can't really do. Okay, we do have analogs. At least you can do more than eight directions, which he does use. Like you can see here, there's more than just a standard eight framing your shots here. I think he uses 16, maybe 32. I can't remember. Now, they tried to do something like that. Like I did notice actually in the review, he mentioned that there is a mode where you can use both joysticks, but it's a lot worse than actually trying to just use one joystick. Oh, I didn't even know that. 
Yeah, because if you plug it in with the right joystick, you can move. And with the left joystick, you can aim, but you can only aim when you've got the fire button pressed, which you can do with the uh, right joystick anyway. Ah. So I think he had the idea of trying to use the left joystick as kind of the spinner, but didn't implement it very well. You should have been able to... Kind of trying to do a Robotron style. Yeah, you should have been able to move the aiming around completely with the left joystick, not just when you're firing. But, you know, the attempt was there. Yeah. Now, this is one I, this is one I have to, uh, no offense to Dave, but I have to kind of disagree. I, I prefer the original colors over this, personally. Yeah, this one kind of bleeds a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those ones that uses artifact colors but also has detail in it so that it's it shows actual p mode four as if it was a two color mode so it uses a mix of the two like donkey kong and or king and uh sailor man and a few others do so to me it looks a bit cleaner on the regular thing but if you have an rgb monitor i mean it, it would get kind of washed like this anyway even with the artifact colors because it wouldn't be able to do the detail but if mm-hmm. you have composite it looks it looks better to me And yeah, the, game, the game definitely ramps up difficulty quite nicely because you start getting faster light cycles. You get a few that are, you know, they end up running fast, twice as fast as you do, even with the button held down. And then they have a level, I think it's a fifth or sixth, where they 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 have two super fast light cycles. They start on either side of you. So good mm-hmm. luck trying to guess which way you got to go there. <laughs> but yeah, so being faith, it... it is fairly faithful to the arcade game. So yeah, um, as you mentioned, some of the scoring, like the MCP, you don't get a big bonus if you kill the entire cone off uh, on yeah. this one here. It, this is a little bit too easy. I mean, if you just shoot a couple yeah. specific ones, you can get out of there really quick. And the you could just, you remember. could just walk right up and leave. You don't get any points for it, but you get to move on. You get to move on. Yeah. Was the other thing, uh, Dave? Did he add some pulsing colors instead of just changing the palette itself? I forgot. Yeah, so that that's a little bit nicer, but no. Overall, it's a pretty interesting experiment he's, or thing he's doing there with adding all the different colors to the these old games. So, yeah, and and thank God he's doing it because then Nick and I don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> And, and to be honest, Nick and I didn't add in like changing, like cycling pallets for sort of this, like you're seeing here, yeah. especially on the light cycles part. Yeah. But definitely, I have to say the light cycles was my favorite part of this game. So, and actually was my favorite part of the original game as well. So, yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I'd have to say that's my, my that and the MCP corner are probably my two favorite parts of it. The, the tanks is, is hard. The sp- the the spider or whatever they're called grid bugs is on, on this version it's a little bit too easy just to skip yeah. through it, 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 it didn't really appeal to me it was a little too simplistic it was I still uh, prefer Cron gameplay wise myself the graphics are not as quite as good in some ways uh, we converted uh, Buck Owens because uh, he said that at the beginning Cron was his favorite and then he rescinded that about halfway through the week and said yeah, he liked Electron that. better. <laughs> So, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe maybe because he did better at it. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so for tips and tricks for the game, uh, it's interesting that uh, it's completely randomized on uh, what um, 
order they are in on the screen when you start out. Yeah, which so of the four subgames you Yeah, you, you have pick. no idea which subgame you're going to at the beginning. You learn that as you go. So um I found with the tank level, it was the worst one for me, but uh find a spot. You could try and sneak up on the behind the tank, but <clears throat> excuse me. I found that uh, while the the uh, computer was a lot more maneuverable than you are, so if you just actually find a good spot to kind of hide and ambush the tank, is a bit better. What I usually did in the tanks is I usually find a place that I can ricochet the shots. So we can go around yeah. a corner and then kind of lead the the tank there, or multiple yeah. tanks for that matter. And then they never even get a chance to shoot at you because you've got them dead already before they get to you. Yeah, exactly. So on the um, life cycle le level, did did the did the opponents get smarter or did they just get um, more numerous? Uh, numerous and faster, depending on what level you're on, to the point where they're twice as fast as you are. Um, I don't think they really get that much more intelligent, maybe a little bit. Mm. That could have been an illusion. Um, if you want to rack up points on the MCP cone level, which I forget what they called in their instructions, um, Take out as much of the bricks as you can, like wait till it's almost near the bottom so you can get as many points because you do get points yeah. for destroying each brick. You can just, you know, plow a quick hole through it and then just run up and get out of there pretty easily, pretty quick, but you won't rack your score up that way. Grid bugs, actually, uh, just uh, just blow blow a couple away and get out of there. <laughs> that's, actually, that's you risky. can you can get a few points there if you actually I found um if if you uh kind of go to the top. You, you kill everything on the one side and then just go to the top uh, um, right-hand side of the center part and just fire straight up and they'll move over into your shots and you can kill off a few of them. On the lower levels, that might work, but when you're on like, yeah. the fourth or fifth round, <clears throat> they're multiplying so fast that you really you just have to get out of there before they multiply too much and you have nowhere to even move, never mind shoot. Well, not everybody made it to the fourth or fifth round, Curtis. <laughs> Some of us were just trying to get a good score, only being able to go through the first two rounds. <laughs> yeah. And the tanks, uh, like I said, the ricochet, <clears throat> remember that that center spot on the tanks is a teleport, so that if you're kind of getting surrounded, it's a risk, I mean, depending on where you come out, but you can run into that and you'll teleport elsewhere, which can be great if you're really surrounded or it can be terrible if you, you know, end up right in front of one and they fire immediately. It's kind of like that hidden transport square and ghost gobbler. Mm -hmm. uh, so for the uh, live game, we had, um, I don't know. I think there's a four or five people playing at once usually. And we had more than that just coming on to guests, I think. Yeah, we just had a lot of people coming in to chat, which was nice, and uh, had some interesting music chats, so. <laughs> which made it uh, kind of a more interesting just hang out, hang out, play games, and just talk about stuff, so. It was actually a fun time. Yeah, I mean, we we should we should hype up the fact that it is just fun. You get to like banter back and forth. You can give each other tips and tricks if you if you want to be nice, or you can hoard your secrets so they can try to get a better score than everybody else, or steer people down the wrong uh, alley on trying to do things. <laughs> Specifically, uh, torpedo their scores. I don't think I gave anybody any bad advice, did I? <laughs> nope. 
I'm not saying that anybody did. I'm just saying you could do that if you wanted to, if you wanted to be a jerk, just so you could get that top spot. I like Buck Owen's comment on the side there. He's all our distorting hobby. I think that was talking about the palette changes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a fun game. It's it's pretty faithful to the arcade. Um, the fact that it required 16K, I think it needed 32K on disc, but it definitely worked on 16K tape. Yeah, Whereas the other clone we had, Cron, required 32K regardless. Yeah. So people with the smaller uh, computers or the smaller memories could actually play this game. So, And its author, I'm not sure if it's pronouncing his name right, Steve Geesking, <clears throat> he seemed to be quite fascinated with uh, scalable and, and 3D graphics because you'll notice at the beginning when you fire up the game, it'll do electronic kind of zoom it towards you. Yeah. As part of a scaling algorithm. And he actually used a more advanced version of that when he did Space Rec, which is a clone of the uh, Star Trek strategic simulator from the arcade, which actually does 3D wireframe graphics while you're playing. So he, he seemed to be pretty fascinated with that. He did a couple games based on that engine. All right. Well, uh, does anybody yeah. else have anything to say about the game this week? Yeah, it was a pain in the rump. <laughs> <laughs> All, all four sub games, uh, David, or just one or two of them? Uh, for me, it was the tank. Um, and the ones where the little guys run around and they keep multiplying. Those are the two the that were bugs. the most difficult. So you didn't mind the light cycles or the MCP cone yourself? No, usually I, uh, I did okay with the light cycle. It, uh, um, I usually had a thing where I'd go at a, go quickly across and then cause the, the other guy to go into mine. So, and then of course the, the, um, the one that's kind of like breakout, that was most of the time easy, unless of course I didn't time it right or move too far one direction or the other and hit the sides. But yeah, tank and the, the, other creature things pain i i think this would have been a good game to buy back in the day because you basically got four different games right like they're they're fairly dissimilar from each other so it's kind of like getting a four for one deal but they did i mean well i mean even the arcade game was four separate little games like this so but it it was faithful to the movie well, except the grid bugs, because that actually that that scene got basically canceled, and it only very briefly appeared in the movie. The original well, movie they were had still a much the longer movie, sequence. So, yeah, they were still in the movie, just not quite as not as prominent as they originally. Yeah, planned. and of course, you know, Tron in the movie is famous for being the first uh, movie that had a lot of computer animation in it. I think eighteen to twenty minutes or something like that of, of basically just solid computer animation, the first movie to ever attempt that much computer animation. Mm -hmm. And it's a classic for, you know, the time. Yep. All right. No tips or tricks for me, so. I don't really have much else to say about this other than, uh, yeah, uh, a pretty good homage to the arcade game. Yeah, because it's not a clone at all, right? You know, no, so. no, it's not because you know they they the screens are called something different. Exactly, the levels are different, named. It's an homage. Yep. All right, so 
here is next week's game. Does anybody recognize this? I do. I do have to point out, though, Curtis, it's not on your site. There's about 700 games that aren't on my site, so that's hardly surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Stinger by, I don't know how to pronounce this, iGen Systems. Well, let's just... uh, There we go. Yes, so... I guess, and if I, I remember, it's basically systems. Star Castle, right? Uh yeah, I guess. Or is it a little bit different from gameplay? Was I haven't played this one a long time? Not really. It's a it's it. a fairly simple game. There's only two controls in it. Um, if you push the joystick uh, left, you go in a ring. Right, you go out a ring. Whenever there's uh, oh an right, yeah, this isn't like uh, Star Castle. You don't shoot through the yeah. Thing. You don't you shoot. Have to, you, have to, you have to collect or avoid collect the dots. And, or collect there's dots around. you have to collect and dots you have to avoid. So. Maybe put the screenshot of the game itself here just so we can kind of explain okay. the gameplay here for people who have never played it before. Just bring that up again. Okay, so the idea of the game is that you have to go through, collect all the blue dots, and avoid the red dots. The red dots kill you. And um, on this particular one, I'm in the very center by the ant head there. You're the so white you- square? Yeah, you're the white square. So what you have to do is uh, if you push left, you will move. And one of the openings is right beside you. You'll move in a ring. If you push right, you'll move out a ring. So it's yeah, kind of the rings are like, moving too, right? Yeah, the rings are all moving around and everything's moving in it. So and now all at different speeds. So it's a little bit like Dodgem on the arcade or on the uh, Atari yeah, with a Star Castle layout, like circular yeah. versus rectangular. Person. Now I remember, yeah, I, I totally forgot. I thought it was Star Castle, but no, it's not. So yeah, I remember this is pretty challenging, if I remember correctly. Yeah, the first level, not so much, but then uh, it gets, it ramps up in difficulty pretty quickly. So, yeah, it's an earlier one too. Like it's 82. So, I mean, that's yeah. like just in the second year of the Coco, really, for third party stuff. And I don't think iGen systems lasted too long, if I remember. I don't I can't even remember if they made anything else. And I do believe Mr. Dave said that he's also got an RGB patch for this one. <laughs> and this one, I think, if I remember, uses the pure PMOD 3 equivalent style of uh, mm-hmm. artifact graphics, so it should work nice and cleanly on that. And if he really wants to annoy your eyeballs, he'll ship the palette of the rotating rings while it's going. <laughs> Make That's it not a hit, Dave. He should make it 3D. Make it 3D so the outer rings are further out and it goes in like a cone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I remember it being a fun game. I have literally not played it probably in a decade. Probably why I forgot to put it on my site. But now you have something to do. (laughs) I'm trying to get Nitrous 9 EOU 1 out first. (laughs) Well, you know, you probably have time at like while you're making supper or something. No, then I'm busy playing the game on challenge. So, <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I have to say about uh, that for next week's game. So, cool. Oh, well, what's the system requirements? Coco one or two? Obviously, is it 16K or 32K? Well, I, I don't know because it's not on your site. And that's usually where I look that up. <laughs> yeah, I think it's 16K, at least tape. I'm for sure, sure it's was. probably 16K because it's not that complicated of a game. 
And you said it's joystick, not keyboard, like you move in and out with left and right. I actually never tried on the keyboard, but. Way to do your research, Ken. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it was the middle of the night last night when I was test testing this out to play. So, <laughs> you know, I make There's my no decisions. skill levels or anything to worry about. You just go in and play. No, type you thing? just go in and play. Okay. Um, just push the fire button to start. I, I assume it's just our, our joystick because it says to push the fire button to start. So, ah, yeah. Right or left, do you know off the top of your head? Um, I had my joystick in the right port, so it might uh, self-connect depending on which uh, fire button you press. I don't know. But I, I had it in the right joystick port, so. Okay. The only thing that's a little bit weird about it is that, uh, yeah, it's no matter what side of the screen you are on, pushing left takes you in a ring and pushing right takes you out of ring. So sometimes you have to go Adjust push, in the brain, opposite yeah. direct, push in the opposite direction that you want to go. I do remember that now that you mention it. Yeah, that was, uh, that takes some getting used to. So have fun reprogramming your brains, everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what's next? I know. Is Mark uh, still awake? <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. Let's do the Nap public time. service announcements and then go into Game On News. Okie dokie. You are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy-colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original color computer, the Coco 3, and the world-renowned exclusive French Radio Shack. Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daddy Burrito, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Grant B., Henry Strickland, Jay Style, Justin Larson, Ken Reichert, Malfunct, Melly, Mike Rayburn, O.G. Hugo, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Terry Steen, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tim Thayer, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you ever so much, patrons. for everyone's favorite segment who's new to discord this week 66 dude says hello everyone i'm russ and i'm happy to be here my first home computer was a color computer too i think 64k i've recently rediscovered vintage computing and here i am i'd love to have an actual coco but i live in a small house with no place to put stuff thanks for having me the previous bios were edited for time, thanks to Coco Man, Boys in Tech, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Nightbeard, Glenside Computer Club and the Coco Talk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.cocotalk.live. See y'all on Discord!
And take it away, Curtis. Okay. Okay, you guys can all see that. Yes. Go ban. <laughs> yeah, so Paul Thayer has released his long-awaited Coco 3 game Cocobon, which is based on Sokoban somewhat and Picobon, which is for the little Picos. So it's it's Sokoban on steroids, basically. It's got a bunch of extra things. <clears throat> and he doesn't explain all of them either. You're actually discovering some of this as you go through. And from being one of the play testers on it, there's some pretty cool innovative little things that show up in later levels there. And I think there's 30 some odd levels. So he's kind of curious if anybody's gonna be able to make it all the way through. So this is his original announcement on Facebook. 120k Coco 3 required with disc or SDC. Uh, it does automatic saves. Uh, so when you progress through levels there, you, it'll just pick up where you left off. You have several save slots if you want to, you know, save for several people, for example. So that's the original announcement on Facebook. And here's some screenshots and also the itch.io where you can go get it. Now, it is free, though you're also free to donate some money towards him for doing the game. Um, and you can see that here, the main menu, save slots, and then some sample levels. It also comes with a level editor, as you can see on the bottom here. So you can create your own levels, and he's kind of curious what people might come up with here. I'm expecting people have to kind of play the game and get a feel for it first before they start designing levels, but I'd like to see that. Um, now, Ken, I was going to ask you, is this the type of game that you think would be a worthwhile one to do as a game on challenge? I probably um I what's the scoring how is it or is it just how many levels you get through time based time based yeah it's it's yeah you got a timer um but yeah it's not really a score game so maybe the number like you said the number of levels to get through might be one way yeah yeah to judge it if you if you played uh, basically you need to play for the shortest time so but since the levels don't change each time, don't you gain an advantage by starting sooner? By memorizing the, the levels? Well, that you do true. on any game, though. Yeah, if you sit down and practice for two weeks. Mind you, you don't, you don't normally announce a game early, so... No. This would have to be up like, pretty quick if we're going to try that, I guess. That's a tough yeah. one. It's it's definitely worthwhile to highlight it, but maybe, maybe make this one of the ones where we do a dual game. We have a score-based game. And this one, and then people can friendly compete as to what level they can get to. Yeah. Well, here's his main red beard page on itch.io where he, you can still pick up Timberman starring Ron. <laughs> you get royalties for that, Ron? Is this like no. getting paid for his likeness? No. <laughs> yeah. Don't happen. I, I thought he was like Disney and just you know charge you for a birthday cake with his face on there or something. What about the guy in the paper towels? Say what? You lost me in on that one. Yeah, me too. Oh, Brawny. Yeah, there's a guy on a paper Bronny. towel brand that kind of dressed like that. Oh, Brawny. Yeah. Brawny towels. Oh, I'm supposed to be an American brand. I don't know that at all. Do you can? We keep our fake Canadians here in America, I guess. I've heard of it. I just <laughs> It's like a lumberjack guy that sells paper towels or something. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they, they, paper towels start from trees. <laughs> Buck Owens has a comment. I'm enjoying this game. I play, get, get pissed, come back and repeat. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's a sign of a good game. <laughs> after you hurl your joystick against the wall, you come back after you fix the joystick and try to get so it. If you spin the joystick around as the game spins you around, will that help, do you think? <laughs> anyway, yeah, you can go pick up the game. Like I said, it is a free one. I, I think he's making this one free mainly because puzzle games aren't as popular. So I, I did think he was expecting to get as many sales as you would up an arcade game like Timberman type thing. But it's definitely, if you're into puzzle games, it's actually quite a good one. And there's a lot of variety to it. Like if you've played Sokoban, where you basically just have to maneuver the gold bars into the end area and figure out how to not trap yourself. There are so many extra things. There's guided lasers to unlock keys or unlock doors. And there's keys you have to get. And you have opponents chasing after you and stuff. You have teleporters, <clears throat> deflectors, all kinds of things. There's a bunch of things I won't even tell you about because you are supposed to discover these as you go. But there's some pretty interesting gameplay mechanics starting about a level, what is it, 12 or 13, maybe 14? <clears throat> that get quite interesting. And already there's a review preview of it here on Vintage is the New Old, uh, written by Paulo Garcia. So he goes through and shows a little bit. Like here's you're showing a, you know, from level five type thing where you shows one of the keys you have to get in the gym. And the editor itself, you know, creating your own levels. You can load the existing ones and modify them, or you can start from scratch. So nice that he got a bit of review on a, a general site instead of just Coca-related stuff. So I, I highly recommend it. if you're into puzzle games at all, or if you like Sokoban at all, this this is a definite improvement on the original and a lot of extra stuff to it. And also, since it's a Coco 3 game, it's actually a lot more colorful. Um, even features some music and stuff in it, too. So I, Look, I this, definitely would recommend it. The screen says hi. What? Oh, yeah, the level does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a lot of little goofy things like that in there, too. Anyway, I would highly recommend it. <clears throat> uh, next up, uh, TJ Ferreira uh, on YouTube. Um, I won't play too much of this because he gets a bit colorful with his language and we're trying to remain a family-friendly so show, um, which is probably why we won't be showing you know, Buck Owens' gameplay when we do Cocobon because it sounds like he swears a lot during that too. <clears throat> but he's actually, he dragged out his MC-10 again because he started noticing all the Inifuto games that were getting ported. And the newest one that just got over there is is a uh, Guntus, which is basically a Galaga style game, and he's picked up the same thing Ron has an SDX thirty two SD. Yep, you'll see there. So he's he's quite happy getting this game running. So I'll just play a little bit of it, and if I have accidentally catch him, you know, getting a bit colorful language, my apologies. Guntus on YouTube of the guy that ported it, and I, he typed an EXEC execute. She, she, here she goes. Guntis! <laughs> uh, the wonderful green. Uh, Guntis. I'm going to have to go put the dog out, but Guntis, you got score, high score, stage, push space or, or shift key, Inufuto 2022. We now have new games for the fracking microcolor computer. Hold on a second. I'm going to turn this off. I'm going to go put the puppies outside and then come back and try to play Guntis. Okay, I'm back. Although now she's going to come around. I've got a, a screen. That's part of it here. In my head. Shift key. Uh, shift key. Shift key. Okay. So we'll go left and right for now. So it's like a Galaga. You hear her barking out there? Stupid dog. Look at the graphics on this thing. Oh, shit. It looks pretty freaking good. For a MC10 game. 
let you watch all the videos. He's, he's always amusing. We've we've covered some of his stuff before. My apology for the one word that slipped through. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, this is one I think we just uh, covered a couple weeks ago because this is a fairly recent Inupitu game. So and it's available. There's a Coco three version. There's a Coco one two version, and there's the MC ten version as well as for sixty other platforms or whatever they're up to now. And uh, it, it's it's uh, once again it's great seeing the MC ten getting a lot of you know games that are. Uh, bit of the higher quality than regular basic stuff because they're using the actual graphics modes that adjust the semi-graphics though i'm sure nick will argue that semi-graphics is great too because this new game uses them um but yeah there's a there's a ton of new stuff coming out um and about the looks of it Infinity is planning on keeping coming out with games for all these platforms so for those of you that collect multiple machines not just coco related stuff there you can even compare it with you know sinclair's and commodore's and atari's and old pc dos style and uh, you know fujitsu's from japan and all kinds of stuff so even the coleco vision yep coleco vision's definitely in their television too i think and tari 2600 and some of these games in particular like not so much on the coco uh because we had a pretty robust games library where there's well over a thousand um the mc10 did not so you're getting a lot of arcade ports or or based on arcade games that you know have never been on the mc10 before Unless Jim Gary made a basic version of it. Next up, uh, going into the AGD stuff. So Paris Rat and uh, Keys Van Oss have been quite busy this past week uh, with the AGD ports. And there's there's multiple posts here, so I'll just go through them one at a time. First up is AGD Games Pack number 60. They just released 59 like a week or two ago. <clears throat> this adds seven more games. You can see the titles there. I'll just read them out for the audio uh, listeners. Milo's Rescue, Mythic Banjo, Power Planes, Rage Quit, which sounds like me, um, Temple Treachery, The Honey Thief, and Underworld Escape. Now, I believe, uh, and Ken, maybe you know better than I do, uh, like the last pack, I think these are the ones created by the elementary school kids that are kind of designing arcade games as part of a school course. Um, He usually... Puts it right on his uh, on this page here somewhere on it. If it doesn't okay. look like like the last one did actually say that all the games were created by right at the top. I think just right by all the uh, downloads. Yeah, just as converted here. So I know with this beers in P six. Is that identified as a a school I or something? I think that might just be the person that. Did it? I don't know. Because here it says, you know, this this game's by Elliot, Oscar, and Oren, and then hmm. Beers and I'm, okay. I'm assuming these are. The fact that he's just using first names and not fully identifying yeah. a child's name kind of because I think the other ones that are, you know, the more quote unquote commercialized style ones, I think have full names. So I'm I'm guessing. And I thought I'd seen a comment somewhere that somebody said these were more right. of those. In the chat, uh Phantom Ape it says uh these were written by kids for class. Okay, so it is one of those batches then. So it kind of continues off in the last one. So there's some screenshots here. And obviously the audio listeners won't be able to see this. So you'll have to go watch the video later or just go download the game pack. Um, here's the, the mythic banjo. And honey thief. Basically they look like, you know, ladder platformers. Here's another smiling face hidden in the maze type thing. Milo. I was rescued. Power planes. Which seems to be a bit more of a shoot 'em up than some of the other games, which are mostly platformers. 
There's rage quit. Not quite sure what that is. Just looks like a platformer from Oldsmith. Temple Treasure. Looks like it would be perfect for Stevie to play. <laughs> yeah. Escape. Yeah, that's the pictures there. You can download them at the World of Dragon archive. Um, and I think these usually end up on the Color Computer Archive as well, don't they? I think so. And as usual, they have they have the four different versions of the downloads of these these game packs. Um, there's a Dragon version. There's a Coco version. Uh, two of the versions have short file names specifically for the Coco SDC, so 8.3 file names. And then they have ones with longer file names that actually will give the full title of the game. And that's more meant for the emulators. So you can grab whatever, whatever suits your system that you use to play these things. And then because they've done this, and he did mention that they've now caught up with everything that's been released. So they've actually released another big pack, uh, 3.1. A big pack is basically if you're new to getting these AGD conversion games for the Dragon or the Coco, you know, instead of downloading 60 different zip files and unzipping them all and doing all that type of thing, you can actually just download one big massive one that has every single one. So all 346 games are in one zip file. Once again, they also have Dragon and Coco and Long versus Short Filing. And he has a separate one here for actual uh, documentation because of what keys and what the object of the game is is uh, contained separately. So that's there as well. So those are both available. And this is on the Retro Wiki. I think this is also on the um, Dragon Archive form as well. And then, as I was mentioning earlier, for those of you that have the Super Sprite FM Plus board, uh, Pear is actually one of the people that actually has been supporting the board. And this is now the fourth game pack that supports the extra colors and the music and the sound effects that are contained on that board for Dragon and Coco 1 or 2. It does work in a Coco 3 as well. But you'll immediately see here the four games they've got on this one, which is Antiquity Jones, Apolisia 13, which I think is Apollo 13 in Spanish, Astronaut Labyrinth, and Baldi ZX or ZX. Um, you can immediately see the screenshots here. These are these are quite more colorful. And uh, if you've seen the video demos we've shown on before, you actually get multi-voice music and sound effects too. So these are much more you know arcadey style than the, the straight boards. But you will require the Super Sprite FM Plus board by John Whitworth. So here's some of the uh, Epilisa 13 and, and very much more detailed graphics than the, the standard black and white ones we have seen on the other Astronaut Labyrinth. They even got really nice title screens. And I know from looking at how the, the Spectrum actually does their graphics with the color tiles with foreground background colors for each 8 by 8 pixels square, it takes a really good artistic bent to be able to get something really decent because you get color bleed otherwise. You can't just in, you know, put colors wherever you want with impunity. And Baldi ZX. I could say it's dedicated to some of the people on the panel, but I won't. Um, anyway, it looks really cool. So those of you who've got the Super Sprite from Plus Board or want an excuse to get one, that is now the fourth pack. So there's now 16 games that have been ported over uh, to use the Super Sprite board. Now, Para in the Dragon announcement in the Dragon forum on Facebook mentioned that the next pack of AGD games for the Super Sprite is in testing already. He's expecting you to get it out this next week. So there'll be another four games on top of that, beyond the ones we showed today. We'll show them next week if it's released uh, next week. But basically, you'll have 20 games now that support the hardware. And that's one of these things uh, that, that the various, you know, 
graphical and sound upgrades kind of need is you, they need software support because if, if you don't have that it's just it's an interesting thing to fiddle with but it doesn't really do anything else you're a programmer type thing so it's encouraging to see that they're actually supporting the board with you know a good chunk of games here kind of like the Koku vj and hopefully alan's be able to get some stuff out too so but pretty cool pretty good looking games there uh, next up, Tim Thayer, brother of Paul, who just released uh, Cocobon, is put up a poll on Facebook, and I'm not sure when the deadline is, but I think it's still ongoing, so go vote. Um, but basically, he's got four games in progress that he's already gotten some graphics done and had done for a while, and he wants to basically have the community pick which one of the four to complete first. And the four options are Craps, The Prize is Right, Ukra, and Card Sharks. I hope I pronounced that third one right. I don't play that card game, so I have no idea. Um, and he's got screenshots, and unfortunately, he couldn't post them with the poll. So if you look at our show notes on our Discord, you can get right direct link to the Facebook poll where you can actually vote. So far, the prize is right is running away with it here with uh, almost two-thirds of all votes already. Um, but he had a separate poster to show screenshots to kind of show what they look like. So here's the craps game up in the upper left. The prize is right in the upper right. Bukra on the lower left and then card sharks on the lower right. Now I'm just going to take an impromptu poll here just from people watching on the panel. Which one do you would you prefer to see finished first? The one you couldn't pronounce. How do you pronounce it then? I have no idea, but I just like that you couldn't pronounce it. <laughs> Mark Mark Bosley has taught me well. Huh? How to mispronounce things. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's okay, Mark. Go back to sleep. That one, that one card game looks more like a, like a hearts or trump game, right? The lower left one? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's even a labeling for trump. I guess you get to pick your trump there. The prompt is kind of showing that as well. The CBN <clears throat> I'm, I'm not familiar with that game, so I don't really know. Sorry. Go ahead, Rick. I was going to say, I've, I've seen the name before, and even the phrase filthy euchre, however you say it. I have no idea what the game is. I think, okay. it is, I think Euchre, like Bob Euchre, but beyond that, I don't know much about it. Yeah. I mean, Card Sharks, I don't really know what that is. Probably based on the old um, game show. It's basically just a thing that. of uh, betting on higher or lower cards. Okay. Oh. I mean, honestly, out of these these here, because, I mean, they've done a ton of card games already. They've done poker and a bunch of others, him, uh, Tim and Paul combined. <clears throat> the top two are the ones that probably interest me the most, because there's there's quite a few card games already out that they've done themselves, plus other people have done. Um, Paul Schreiber's table, yeah. as well. I mean, Craps is kind of a, a to me, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of a boring game. It's just, you know, random dice rolls, basically, and some betting. But it looks really well presented on here. I mean, it looks quite nice graphically. The prize is right doesn't look as good graphically, but that's just a more interesting game. I'm assuming it's based on the TV show uh, with Bob Barker and then Drew Carey. But uh, that would just be a more interesting one. I've seen one or two attempts at it before that didn't really play all that well. So it'd be interesting to see how well this works. So, so far, from the sounds of the people on the panel, it sounds like Ukra, or however you pronounce that, is... Is the favorite so far? Any, any dissenters there that want to see something else? Hmm. I don't know how to play it, so now I need to know. Well, I used <laughs> to own a Card Sharks game for my uh, Apple computer back in the day, so. 
Phantom 8-Bit in the chat is saying you cur. So I think I was saying it pretty close. Justin Larson says that as well. Yeah, Euchre is just a card game. I can't remember how to play it, but is it like Shamir or Wist or something then, or what? I honestly can't remember. I just vaguely in the back of my mind remember people playing Euchre, and I don't think I ever played it. I was probably too young then. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Buck Owens emphasizes the old farts in chat. Probably here with old farts. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Sixy. Uh, since you just joined the chat too, is Euchre popular in the UK or is that a North American game? I have no idea. James says it's a classic card game. So classic, I've never heard of it. Then you never heard of Card Sharks either, Curtis. So no, I haven't. Ken has though. I mean, a Canadian representation there. Yeah, I used to. That used to be a game show on that on our couple of channels that we got when I was sick as a kid, it was on in the mornings. <laughs> so I wonder if Euchre was the game that uh, your grandparents would go to their friend's house and play cards. Oh, there's a ton of games that yeah. Yeah. Euchre is a trick taking card game commonly played in Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Great Britain, and the U S played with a deck of 24, 28 or 32 standard playing cards. Normally there's four players, two on each team. Uh, there are variations for two to nine players. Wait a sec. You said 32 cards or 52? 32. It's 24, 28, or 32. So you're probably just using high cards, kind of like... Um, yeah. That reminds me of Schmier then, Peanut which is a Crazy German game. Or whatever that one was called. About it's probably very much pickup. the same. Yeah, 60 in the chat, uh, who's from the UK, says, I've heard of it, but no idea of the rules. So it doesn't it's, seem to be it's popular. Trick -taking. It's trick-taking, so you're probably just playing, um, trying to take as many high cards or something, kind of like a crazy or whatever that one was, Canasta mm, yeah. or game Because like I'm trying that. to remember the, the German game my grandparents used to play called Schmier. I think it, the cards were nine up, and whoever had the nine of Trump could lay it down, they'd keep it, even if they were on the losing end of that card or something. There's some weird rules in it. Yeah, it's probably similar. I think there's about a million different games that are very similar to that. Pinnacle only uses down to nine in the ace. Okay. I don't know. I, I've heard of that one, but I don't know anything about it. I've never played it. I hearts, didn't play cards much. I suck at cards. There's hearts, which uses uh, down to nine, plus the five of hearts. Yeah, five of hearts and, and three of spades, right? Three of spades, yeah. yeah. That one I do remember. That one I have played. So it's probably very similar to all those types of games. Anyways, asparagus on the uh, trying to figure out how to play euchre. <laughs> He's gonna have it done for we. Well, we don't have to anymore. Marco was just posted a link of how to learn to play it, so that covers everything there. So, I'll I'll quickly go to that link and read the whole thing. Curse, courtesy of bicycle playing cards. <laughs> like they have a vested interest. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, anyway, it's it's not even close to being the first place. Once, unless a lot of you people go vote right away here, it's not going to be the game to work on anyway. So it's kind of a really point. Anyway, it's good to see Tim getting back into getting another Coca game out too, and um, I'm sure Paul will help him a bit bit with it too. So I think he's got to do the prizes all right because uh, that will be a, a a snapshot of history. Because you know, if you put a Coco three up on the price that on your the thing that you're bidding on. Five years ago, compared to today, everybody would overbid. 
Yeah, but we should do that. We should have a, a prizes right uh, contest at Coco Fest or something, like give away a Coco two or something, or as a as the grand prize or something. That'd be kind of an interesting way to link the two. Anyway, if you haven't voted already, go on to Facebook in the Coco group and you can vote on which one you want him to complete first. I'm guessing that he probably will eventually complete them all. So don't feel completely left out if your game's not picked. I think it's more to pick the order that he wants to work on them on. And obviously he's got some of the graphics done for all of them already. So Next up, but we haven't had uh, him on for a bit here. Old school games and stories. He's been covering a lot of Nintendo and other you know gaming systems lately. But he decided to do a throwback Thursday, throwing back even further than the Nintendo, apparently. And he does Panic Button. I'm trying to remember, Ken, have we done Panic Button as a game on Game On? I don't think so. I'd have to see it. Okay. I'll play a little bit of the intro, then I'll skip ahead. I will mention that Panic Button was a third-party release by, I think it's First Star Software. It came out in 83. And then Tandy got the rights to it and put it on cartridge two years later in 85. So it's a fairly later Coco 1-2 release as far as that goes, but it actually had been out for a couple years before. Oh, hey, what's going on? Glad you stopped by to hang out with me for a few minutes today. Well, it's Throwback Thursday again, and boy, do I have a special one for you today. We're going to go away from the Atari again here on Throwback Thursday because I have finally picked up a game that I've been looking for for quite some time the Tandy Color Computer. This is one I had as a kid and have been searching for again for quite some time. I don't know why, but this one's just hard to find. But I finally got it and today we're going to play Panic Button for the Tandy Color Computer. And the name fits it. Hey, I will for some actual gameplay here. Gonna need it. Uh, okay. Start on level one. We have Aren't not played this game on the Game On Challenge, but have you played easier. it before? Like you're familiar with it? I've I've looked at it. It's one that I kind of in my queue. Three pieces: so. the head, the torso. And okay. The leg. Yeah, because basically you get three pieces of things falling out from different yeah. slots, and the slots get relocated so they're on multiple levels later on, so it gets much harder. And you have to construct whatever it is—a cake, a robot, a whatever telephone and put them in the right order and then they go off and get completed or if you put them in the wrong order they get destroyed and if you destroy too many or you run out of time um you lose the game basically and you have a timer to like up the upper right corner it'd be, it'd be interesting what to do because it is score based it does have multiple levels to start on i don't think this is one you'd have to start on a later level it gets hard pretty quick no <laughs> Well, I remember when I tried it, I don't think I... I maybe finished building one robot. <laughs> I did better than that, but not by much. Just get all up in the way. And you got these conveyor belts and stuff here. You have to, like, kind of, you know, deal with everything moving on you. But you have those little platforms inside. You can temporarily store something. Like if you're getting a whole bunch of feet pieces and you need a headpiece, you can kind of store a couple of them on those ledges and then go back and get it. You also have the panic button on the upper right corner. Which will temporarily stop the conveyor belts, um, just for a little bit. I think you can only use it once per level, if I remember correctly. So, this this is a fun game. I do remember playing it. I think I actually had a pirated copy even before Tandy got it, if I remember correctly. And it's it's a fairly unique one. I don't recall this being based on any arcade game. I think it's an original concept, and it's a it's a pretty cool game. So, I, I would suggest that as a possible future game on challenge one if we haven't done it already. 
Yeah, as Except- I said, it was on my list, so it okay. will come up eventually soon. How, how big is your list? Like, are you still looking for submissions, or oh, are you kind of like I'm pre-planned for submissions? For, okay, <laughs> I was wondering if you're pre-planned already, like for months on end or something. No, I'm usually pre pre-planned for about three four hours. <laughs> well, and then I make up these lists, and just seeing this game, I remember it's on my list, but I keep writing all these games down, and then I lose the list. Oh, that works well. <laughs> Have you ever heard of this thing? I believe it's called a computer. You can save lists like that. Oh, hey, I should try that sometime. <laughs> I'll even write you a base nine program to do it if you want. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, next up, uh, Retro Arcade Gaming released two videos um, doing official port of Frogger, and they did the color computer version and the dragon version, which I'm not going to show you both because they're pretty well identical. Um, actually, I probably won't play because I think we just played a Frogger uh, comparison video not too long ago, so you guys already seen and heard it. But basically, it's kind of interesting seeing some of these other uh, YouTube channels have not traditionally done any Coco stuff at all or Dragon stuff actually, you know, coming forth and doing some videos based on them. So I'll keep an eye and see if he does any other stuff. If he's just doing official arcade boards, he might get into Puyan or Zaxxon or Moonshuttle or Poltergeist or whatever later on. And uh, this is the uh, Dave Palette Enhance, which you already showed, so I won't show it again here, but he actually released a video up on YouTube that you can go take a look at if you want to see how it looks with the pulsing colors, etc. Uh, Retro365 here also did a gameplay video, and they have a nice little, you know, retro-looking TV outline for it. They did Monkey Kong by Med Systems. Now, it says here, Tier City Coco 4K. Now, I know for a fact that the game requires 16K to run. So I actually sent him a, a message comment on it saying, yeah, actually, it needs 16K because the graphics mode itself takes more than 4K. He goes, oh, I didn't realize people were going to read that way. The 4K means it's a 4K video, not 4K RAM. And he said, yeah, that could be confusing. So we, I think he changed the description later on to do it. But for those of you who have not seen it, this is a Donkey Kong clone with just two levels. And it's based on the Atari 2600 version, not on the arcade version. I mean, the levels are basically the same as the arcade or fairly similar. But the uh, Atari 2600 also only had those two levels. So that's kind of what it's based on. And it's also uh, the only one that ran at 16K. Both Donkey Monkey and Donkey King required 32K. And it's by Ken Callish. One of the very few clones he did rather than his own original stuff. I don't think we've done this one either, have we? No, we haven't. And I like how Mario is just wearing uh, red flannel underwear in this game. <laughs> I thought he's naked and very sunburned. I'm not sure. <laughs> Farmer's tan or something. Not bad. It's it's um if you had 16k and that's all you had, I mean it was it was decent because you did get the first two levels of, of the arcade game fairly fairly faithful to it. I mean the one thing it's missing besides the other two levels is it doesn't have the intermissions. So there's just a little bit of music play like a few notes of music, but there's no, you know, Donkey Kong falling on his head on the girders or anything like that. So that that's about the only disappointing thing. But, you know, he had to fit it in 16K, so. He's done well with the four colors, too. Yeah, actually, I mean, Mario looks like Mario. It's not some weirdly, you know, at least he didn't use the pastel thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and then next up here, and this is the uh, final segment of game-related news, is Jim Gary 
a game releases, and he's got three of them this week, and he's got a fourth one that'll be in the regular news that's not a game. So the first one here is called William Tell. No, it's not the song, uh, the famous Lone Ranger theme song, which also has a really good Coco version. It was one of the first four-part army songs I ever heard on the Coco. Um, so this is originally a 1984 puzzle game that appeared in the book 1001 Things to Do with Your Tier City, published by Tab Books, originally written by Mark Sausch. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correct. Um, one of the commenters here says, I don't quite understand the game, and I don't either. Um, it looks like it's kind of a version of Guess the Animal or Body Parts or some other um, games I've seen of this where you kind of guess, or you give clues and then the computer tries to guess the animal. Um, but it makes less sense in here. Like, William Taylor, William glasses, but not spectacles. Like, I don't even understand exactly what it's getting at here. I don't know if anybody has any experience using this from back in the day when it was published in the book, but it's it's a bit strange. Maybe if I read the book description of it, it might make more sense, but it does not make as much sense to me. Now, this one here is one from Nick Morentes, I think. Um, oh. And it's got some historical stuff, which I, I is pretty cool. So this is an MC10 conversion of a, originally what was a pencil and paper game. And uh, Computer Notes Magazine, November 1976. So this is really early. This is before the pet before the apple II, before the tier city model one this is back in the hobbyist when you're getting altairs etc uh it was released in the magazine it was called bulls and cows and it's basically mastermind using numbers and you're basically guessing and a bull or a cow is a position you know the right number in the right position or the right number but in the wrong position is basically what it means and it gives you some clues, but I thought since Nick tries to build in a mastermind game in every darn game he does pretty well <laughs> That uh, he, he would appreciate the history of this, you know, for a 1976 version of, of a mastermind, pure text. But uh, historically, that's that's pretty interesting. There's not too many games I've seen him convert or I've seen or even around that are from the pre-microcomputer or home microcomputer era. I mean, the Apple One would have been out, I guess, in 75, 76. But uh, as far as, you know, mass market stuff, there was nothing really out at that point. It'd be the hobbyist getting like the little, you know, hex pad computers. So is that like the numbers version of Wordle? Um, sort of. I mean, Wordle has restrictions. You have to use real words. You can't just randomly throw letters up, which Mastermind or, or you know, bulls and cows, would you kind of can. It doesn't matter. Um, you don't have any restrictions of what you're guessing, just within the numbering range. And this one's a bit harder, too, because it doesn't tell you the positions of each of the things. It just says you've got, you know, one or two in the right place with the right number or the right number in the wrong wrong place. But it doesn't tell you which positions. And Mastermind kind of finessed that and actually has it so you can actually kind of get a better guess at it. But So, Nick, I was just wondering, what, what do you think of this early, early version of your little mini game you throw into your other games? Um, Have you ever heard of this? I hadn't. No, I've never heard of that. Yeah, well, it's just Mastermind, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, basically, it it really is. Just way earlier. I, I actually, like, Jim did some research on this, and apparently this computer version here was out before the board game Mastermind ever came out. So Mastermind might be based oh. on this instead of the other way around. Oh. And who knows where it came from before that, because it does mention it was a pencil and paper game before this. So I, this is something they, you just, you know, people made up and just kind of did the rules themselves. I don't know. So the I had no idea it went that far back. 
Go ahead. Say so the people who originally played this game did it on a teletype going tung, 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 tung. Yeah, might have. <laughs> 76 definitely could have been. <laughs> hey, historically, that that's pretty interesting. The game itself, it's it's basically Mastermind, which you've seen. You know, if you if you want to try to play Mastermind, you can play Gatecrasher. Uh you can play um, <laughs> every um, Nick Moretti's game. <laughs> I don't think you had one in Gunstar or Popstar, but no, you did have it. In your last Coco Three Game Zero Hour, is there one in Donut Dilemma? No, I only used it two or three times. <laughs> <laughs> and then the final one here that he converted over is called Stargates, originally by David Healy in 1982. This was originally for the Sinclair's Attic City One. Now he spiced it up with some color graphics, but basically you just are maneuvering your ship and you have to go through. A stargate in the, I think it's the yellow area. Um, but basically, they just randomly pop up on the screen, so you have to kind of fly through them without hitting the edges. And this one, he specifically showed you, it's a very short listing. It fits on a 4K MC10. You don't even need a memory expansion for this. It's our green area. But you can't hit the red parts. So fairly simple gameplay, but you know if you have a 4K one and you you know, don't have any cassette thing or anything to load it with, and you want to better. So I use my mic something. Yeah, the your headset disconnected. I think. Did you finally break your headset, Curtis? No, I think the USB cables. Maybe I'm catching with my foot or something here. It just it, it gave me a big warning here, switching back to internal mic because it detected the Yeti was disconnected. You can hear me okay, though? I'm coming through the right mic. Now you are. Okay, good. Right, sir. So there's a question <laughs> in the uh, in the audience from Can Can Make It. Does Jumpin' Joey have Mastermind in it? No, but uh, would you like one in there? You forgot. <laughs> Absolutely. When you have to go from one level to the other, then once you fill up all the positions in the top then you have to play a game of mastermind to move on or to be really annoying you could have it so that when you go to jump into the you know the final resting place of your your dingo or your uh, kangaroos your joeys you could have it so it has a little lock gate and you have to solve the mastermind puzzle to actually get in there every single one or the gates at the top are the mastermind game and you have to put each joey into the right oh there you go in order yeah yeah you need different (laughs) colored joeys and then you have to put them in the right order and, and if you fail, you have to go all the way back to the beginning and do all three screens again and try it in a different spot. Beat you creep screen. again. I'll never <laughs> get to the end of this game. <laughs> James in the chat says, finally, a way to shut Curtis up. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> yep. Well deserved. Hey, that's it for the uh, game on news. So do you want me to go straight into the regular? Oh, let me go ahead and run the intro. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Curtis Boyle. Muppet News Flash. Herman. Okay, it's yours. Okie dokie. Okay, you guys have seen that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, 
So I don't know if um, Eric is still in the chat here, <clears throat> but if he wants to pipe in on some of these pictures, he can. But basically, uh, Luciano Scharf, who is also at the show, in fact, he introduced him when, we, when he was doing the live show. Now, one thing that happened is when we did the first run through, he had pretty good bandwidth and you know pretty decent quality audio and video. But when he came back later, when it became even more busy, obviously, we were having some bandwidth issues. So there wasn't really like clear pictures of some of the stuff we were looking at, and it was pretty fuzzy. I mean, it was understandable audio-wise, <clears throat> even with some hiccups there. But basically what Luciano has done here is he's actually posted a bunch of pictures from the show in nice high res. So I thought we can kind of go through those, and you guys can comment on what's in there. So here's uh, the whole, basically the whole Coco section, and there's quite a few there, um, ranging from Coco 3s, the CP400 bolt. Revision one, revision two, the drives for it. Um, God, TDP a 100 back more. there, Coco 3, which never got sold in Brazil. So that's, you know, obviously later. And then some of the other clones. But really in good shape. And I, I do like the difference between the CP 400, just like the Coco 2 and Coco 1, or Coco 1 to Coco 2 transition went, where you went from a chiclet style keyboard to the uh, more formal travel. Though I did notice they lost the colored keys when they went to the newer keyboard layout. Which I didn't really notice before for some reason. Hmm. Those disk drives. So, what sort of drives have they got? Oh, that was a fairly rare one, but he did mention it during the the walkthrough that that was the official quote unquote disk drives for the CP four hundred. When did the CP four hundred come out? I mean, it would have come out during the, the couple one and two era. I mean, the the Chicken one I think uh, came out in 82, 83. I feel like if Eric was in the chat here, he can. Uh, Pipe in if he knows the answer to that. We are planning on trying to get them both on. They're going to do a little kind of a live stream from one of their houses, I think, actually in December. We're kind of going to get that set up so we can actually have you know, controlled bandwidth instead of like 300 people trying to share it. Uh, and I would love to go through some of these in a bit more detail. We did that a few years back, but they've got some new stuff we haven't seen before. And plus, we have some more details like that disk drive we've never seen. One or two of the clones we've never seen before. So I would love to go through it in detail. But yeah, I think they were on sale. I think 82 was the first one, the chiclet version. I don't know when the drive thing came out, but I know it's pretty rare. It's kind of like Dragon drives. They weren't that popular because they were way expensive compared to the cassette. I don't know about the same reasoning, but uh, North America and I believe Australia, I think disk drives became fairly popular. Like when you know, when I got my Coco 3 and everybody else in the Coco Club was around, I would say well over half of us had disk drives. Almost none of us were using cassettes anymore. I'm just amazed by the size of that box. Yeah, and it reminds me of the uh, audio-visual disk drive interface for the Model 100 in some ways. Like a big box, except that also had like an 80-column card and composite out and a bunch of other yeah. things built in, too. That one's a huge, that's like a whole PC sitting behind the desk. Yep. It, it wouldn't have been cheap. No. <laughs> And here's the CD6809, which is another clone. And then the color, I can't quite read that. Uh, let's see if I can zoom it in. Color 64, which basically has the color keys are very, very close to the Cocos, but they do have some slightly different shapes. Like the one has this little extended part of the key there. And the brake key is quite a bit wider. They're trying to go for that rectangular cutout. Yeah. But that one looks really good. I really like that one. That one yeah, would have looked fine in a Coco one or two. Here's the color two with the uh, 
more up to date, almost a melted keyboard, not quite, but you can see the tail end here of the uh, Chiclet keyboard from the original CP400 color. And a little bit zoom up of the drive system there. Weird joysticks. Yeah, and the different colored handles. Like, is that like I was mentioning during the live stream? Uh, is that because you could you 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 could identify yourself? I'm always going to have the red joystick on the right and the green joystick on the left, so that if you have a game that keeps switching between joysticks, you didn't have to guess looking at your table like which one am I got grabbing here? It'd just be okay. That's the right one. That's the left one. Which is a kind of a, a neat idea. And that artifact coloring was a bit weird too. Yeah, I don't like that. Could be just literally tint settings on the TV, because I do know some people here used to run it with more of a green purple than the red orange. But if you adjusted the tint, you could fix it up in a hurry. But it could be just the way. Like I don't know what is what does Brazil use for power and video signal? Is it PAL or NTSC? Is it? I would have thought NTSC, but a one ten volt or one twenty volt versus two whatever it is. I think it's different than a lot of the other countries in South America. I think it is NTSC, but it's off, and I think it's 50 hertz. I'd have to look. Oh, okay. I do remember it being a bit different, but I, I honestly don't remember the details at all. If you, if you find out, Mark, uh, just barge in and let us know. Yeah, I'll do a quick look. I know there's a, a weird number of countries that have NTSC at 50 hertz, and it's only like three or four of them. But Yeah. And uh, James in the chat is saying big box for full height drives. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think yeah. they're saying that too. Huge. There's a zoom up. You can kind of see the uh, joysticks up close. Definitely a unique design. I didn't see anything like that in the Dragon or the Coco. That flat top with curve. And if I remember correctly, it has two buttons. So you can be left-handed or right-handed. It's It counts as a single button. It's pushing the same button. And Basically. a spiral cable as well. So a bit yeah, weird. like in a, a guitar cord or something like that. You can stretch it out. Yeah, and if you let go, if you slip on the joystick, it flings back. <laughs> <laughs> so when I throw it against the wall, it comes back like a boomerang. <laughs> and then they're playing Dragonfire, which is actually using the mixed palette. So if that's a 50 hertz, that's got to be a patched one. Because the precise timing to switch the video modes multiple times per scan line that Dragonfire uses does not work properly at 50 hertz unless you patch it. Pal-M. So Pal-M is what exactly? That that I did a quick search on NTSC and it said it was <clears throat> used in most Americas except blah, 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 and Brazil was in there. I clicked on it and it took me to something that says Pal-M was adopted in 1972 by the government. So... It looks like PAL M is, is is a unique analog TV system, according to Wikipedia, that is 525 lines and 30 frames per second, with PAL color encoding system using very nearly the same NTSC sub subcarrier color frequency. Ugh. Unlike other yeah, countries, yeah. which pair PAL with 625, so that's 50 hertz. Yeah, that's easy for me to say. Yeah, I'm just reading in the chat here. Like sixty mentioned, Palami says, which is PAL, but with NTSC color subcarrier. He thought, and sixty hertz, like you mentioned. Sixty uh, said the green purple colors are what you get if you present a standard phase color burst rather than the modified version presented in high res mono modes in the NTSC Cocos. 
or if there's no color burst, but your telly is still assuming color, I guess. This, this is way too many video standards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the map from the Wikipedia PAL page shows that uh, Brazil and uh, Argentina and uh, uh, one begins with a U <laughs> and uh, Bolivia, I think, are, are Uruguay? PAL. Uruguay, yeah. And all the rest of them are NTSC. So, oh, except for uh, one of the little French uh, Guiana, I guess, which is CCAM. Yeah. Of course. I remember yeah. CCAM being French. Yeah, post, posted a link to the map there. So, And then here's a nice zoom up of the Color 64, which has that keyboard that I actually quite like. It almost looks like an HGL57 keyboard without the extra keys, like that good of a build quality. Um, and it basically a Coco 1 case, it looks like, kind of. Just different color. And some actual, it looks like actual, I don't, it doesn't say Tandy or Radio Shack on the top, so I think those are clone joysticks. But man, did they clone that one close? If that is the case, because it's uh, basically looks like the first gen of aluminum black beauties. Even with the little arrow to point where up is. But I don't see a logo on them. And of course, that's a Coco 3 with an Ed Snyder keyboard on the left there. That's imported because they didn't sell that in Brazil. Is a better look at the disk drive system. So the disk drive is called the CP450 that goes along with your CP400 color machine. And I imagine did those were not I, cheap. Did it have anything else other than disk drives in it? Um, if you can read, what is what does Brazil speak? Is there official Portuguese? They Portuguese speak a variation of Portuguese. Yes. Unlike the rest of the countries in South America. Yeah, because I, I, I like this is as far as it'll zoom here, so I can't quite read that. I see something about 1984, 1986. So I'm not sure that's when it was sold. Looks like Dragonfire works right, though. Yeah, like I said, they would have had to have patched that for a, a PAL of any sort because it would definitely not line up properly. And if those are two full-size drives, there's surprisingly little space behind them. By the time you put a power supply in there, that may be just two drives. Yeah, because it looked like full-height drives, like somebody was mentioning in the chat, instead of half-height. Or they said that there recently. was only one drive in that case on the left. Yeah, the right one looks blank. Yeah, nice little fill plate. Just got a plate. Yeah, because yeah, you'd pay for the one if you wanted the one, and if you're super rich, you'd buy the dual. Sample gameplay. Now, I don't know if he's holding the joystick right in this picture. I assume the buttons would be on the top, on the upside here. Here he's got them on the sides. So I'm not sure which way this actually plays. So if any of them are in the chat, they're actually no. Feel free to pipe up. There he's going for the other joystick. And there's a couple three being demoed. Sorry, go ahead. TDP 100. Yep. yep. With a chiclet keyboard. Is, isn't that the only way they were actually sold by? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think, I any, think any other ones you have in there are upgraded by the user after the fact. But he's playing a Z89 or Z89. I'm not sure how Brazil pronounces it. Uh, Steve Bjork's Axon clone on a Coco 3. Here's some of the, the Coco people. There's that. I Puyan. like the Puyan shirt. <laughs> yeah. 
And there are other ones, I think the actual official t-shirt for the show, Retro SC, because that was actually the name of the show itself. And he's got a staff badge too, so. Unfortunately, they're not labeled as to who's who, so <clears throat> the next time we have uh, Erica or Luciano on, we'll get them to explain who everybody is. And there they're playing the Color Computer Classic based on the original Tier City Model 1-3 Outhouse. Still one of my favorites. Yeah, it must be PAL because the artifacting was wrong. What was it? That might well, just be the screenshot here because it does look orangish or bluish, but it seems to be kind of blown out. That might be the photo too. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe. And here's the TDP, <clears throat> which I don't know if it was officially sold in Brazil. I don't believe it was. Might be imported. But the Mesidu 85 is the closest clone. I mean, it's even using the Radio Shack keyboard, the Radio Shack case. The only thing different is a little sticker. <laughs> I reckon that's a rebadge. Yeah. The badge is the only thing that's changed here. because Yeah, because it, it would cost a lot of money to uh, do the plastic uh, remolding. So yeah. it's cheap just to take the Amer import the American ones and just change the ba badge. I, I, I don't know if Mark Siegel is still in the chat here, but I do know like Brazil had rather unique laws concerning copyrights and stuff. So basically you're allowed to clone whatever the hell you want. Yeah. And uh, I was I was curious, did they try to stop the importing of cases at some point, you know, because they were basically getting ripped off or selling the computer itself? Or was it just a way to make some extra money high in a country tariff. that normally you wouldn't be able to sell into? They just had high tariff on importing stuff like electronics. That's why. And the lack of enforcing copyright mean that companies would import stuff and then directly clone it and sell it. So if you were buying the cases directly and not cloning them, but just importing them, would you have to pay high tariffs? Or is that only on the electronic boards and stuff themselves? Yeah, I don't know. You might be able to buy the cases, uh, although they might have reverse oh. engineered it too. <laughs> you I reckon that's a complete cocoa too. Right? Someone just changed the badge and said, prove it yeah, to Sandy. I say it's in the side I reckon it's just the badge, yeah. It's a cheap little black and white badge. So they might be smuggled because otherwise those tariffs would kill the pricing of this thing, wouldn't it? Right. Yeah, but this ain't a Tandy. Can't you see? It ain't no Tandy. I don't know no tariffs right. on this. <laughs> Load a truck truck and go over the border. There you go. Fell off the boat. Yeah. I, I'd like if, 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 when we do the special with with the two of them, I would really like to get some history of that part of it, if they know. Um, I mean, some of them, like the CP400, obviously has its own unique case, its own unique keyboard. It's basically yeah, just cloning the, the 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 Motorola reference spec, which is legal because that was Motorola's. Yeah. But this looks like, like you said, it's just a rebranded Coco 2. So how did they get that across without huge tariffs? They even sort of copped the Motorola logo two. in them. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It almost looks like it a little bit, doesn't it? Well, here's one of my ideas that probably would have worked. Uh oh, here is, Cut him off. Cut him off. I would, if, if I was to get around the tariffs, I would have stripped the electronics out of the case and just shipped the case. Then you could remold it where it's going since there's no electronics in it at that point, and then build your own PCB to match the case. There you go. Could be. Now, Tom Eric Anderson is saying, but wasn't that the Yugoslavian model? And I, I do remember, now that he mentioned that, he mentioned that one of the computers they were showing was a Yugoslavian model, so maybe that is. No, Most they, of the Eastern Bloc, though, were made in Bulgaria. They had the uh, Pravitz, which was an Apple II clone, and they made, like I think, an MSX clone. And they made, now, were they uh, clones or were they like this? It's just basically a rebranded 
No, they were, exactly. they were clones. They made their own cases. They got their own keyboards. Uh, okay. I think they might have copied the ROMs. I don't know, but uh, but they were. I mean, they were designed to be compatible, but you know, of course, they were were not made anywhere <laughs> in the, in the uh, first world. Because because if this was cloned, they did a really good job. Yeah, the case the keyboard's good. identical, so I I think that, this is not a clone. I that's think it's a, a Coco. Yeah, some shop somewhere has a stack of uh, nameplates. <laughs> yeah, peeled off Tandy yeah. ones or Radio Shack. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, it's a fascinating history going through some of this Brazil stuff. They just had a whole different market than we did. Most of the clones are more like this, where it's close, but like a unique keyboard, or this yeah, has a different case. You see keyboard. the difference. Completely different design here, just the same Motorola reference design. It's a little yeah, video well, of Dragonfire. The CP is probably more of a Coco 2 than yeah, you can hear the crowd noise. Though I mean, that's why we, I think we were having problems when he came back on for the second part. Because, as he mentioned, you know, rather than you know the number of people there going down because people went out to eat, more people showed up and everybody stayed. So it was even more people and more busy, and everybody sharing you know the same bandwidth. There's that wooden one, which I believe they said was a custom that wasn't sold that way. And I'm trying to remember what what did they say the CPU E was? The one in the uh, glass case. I think it's someone's FPGA board or something. No, it's not an FPGA. It's it's someone just made a, a six eight oh nine uh, a Coco two main board, their own home. Board. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the layout. I mean, I can't really see. Let's see how much I can see. If you could here. zoom in, yeah, yeah, it's not a, an actual Coco two. Yeah, it looks quite different. Cables. I mean, it does have the ports in the back, like joysticks and serial I.O., but it does look fairly differently laid out. Well, look at all the ROM board. chips. It says CPU-E. Yeah. Power supply. Yeah, and I was going to say, he had discussed that on the quick run-through he did last week, so you could probably uh, go through and see what he talked about on it. Yeah, well, I'm hoping when we do our follow-up show, probably the beginning of December by the sounds of it, uh, we're, we're, you know, it'll be a nice quiet place. And just the two of them will be there with a bunch of their machines. They can kind of go through them in more detail and we can hear them properly. It was getting hard to hear. Plus the bandwidth problems we were having too. But uh, yeah, this is this is an interesting one because it does look like it's it's actually made by, you know, on their own. It's not a ripoff. It's a homebrew. Yeah, kind of. Here's the TDP. There's the MX-1600. But that weird cartridge slot they were showing us, it's too thin to fit a regular cartridge. You basically have to rip it out. Apparently, electronically, it's the same as a Coco from what I remember him saying, but uh, you couldn't fit the actual case. You'd have to rip it out and kind of make your own, maybe even cut down the sides or something. I'm not sure. And CV-6809. And Roby Jr. Sold by Tandy. Yep. Was this sold by Tandy too? Was that the one they had? No, they had, not that one. They had the Armatron or something, wasn't it? Yeah. I can't remember. 
I'm not an electronics guy, yeah. so I didn't Arm- really Armatron play with it. Armatron was the app. I was the candy one. They yeah, and it was kind of nasty because it was electric, not electronic. There were gears and clutches and there were a motor that just ran all the time. I wanted to convert it and there's nothing to convert. <laughs> it's, the mobile it's Arbitron is a lot more electronic. Um, yeah. The one, they, one. The, the one Tandy sold is all mechanical inside. It's uh, okay. and clutches and things. I remember Hot Cocoa had an article on, on interfacing with it and had some basic programs for controlling it. So, There's Erico and Groove. I'm so jealous they have shorts weather. Well, one of them. Well, I'm wearing like bundle of parkas at this point. <laughs> and back to the bank. So anyway, so nice, nice, clearer pictures. Um, we are trying to set up a uh, kind of a follow-up with Erico and Luciano to have them on probably beginning of December kind of go through you know, things in private from one of their houses. So, you know, I, I just noticed something. What? It looks like they've got skirts on the table legs. Yep. I can see that unless that's plastic. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty amazing. They went that far. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next up, Todd Wallace has posted a video and download link on the Facebook uh, Cocoa group showing his new graphic launcher and using his CJ font that we have got, we have included in the OU. So this allows launching SDC Explorer, hard drive or floppy images, ROM banks on the SDC, cartridge slots on an MPI, all from a combo basic ML program suite that you can edit and change yourself, and he includes that. So you can see on the sample here, he's got EOU 6.1 drive wire with an RC32 pack, serial bit banger version of EOU, launch SDC Explorer, mount drive wire, uh, disk for basic, launch Twilight Terminal, so you can launch individual programs if you want, is uh, Cocoa Chiptunes player and SDC Media player. Now, it's uh, about five minutes long. I don't know if you want me to play the whole thing. He's given me permission to do so if we want to, or if you want to just see a quick uh, beginning clip of it. And there that's an IBM font, too. Yeah, yeah, the CJ font. What do, you, what do you guys vote for, just a partial play or the whole thing? Yeah, let it run. We got time, right? Anybody else? Gives me, I don't want to just pick from gives me more time to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you, Nick. Okay, back to napping. <laughs> hey, guys. So some of you may have spotted this little graphical launcher thing whenever I turn my Coco 3 on. And I wanted to tell you a bit about what this is and how you can now use it uh, if you are interested. So basically, this is like a DOS-style um, menu uh, for just uh, running common tasks you would do whenever you turn your computer on. Maybe you want to, you know, boot SDC Explorer sometimes. Maybe you want to jump into Metris 9 uh, or, or whatever. Um, and I'll, I tried to think of a, a way to streamline that process. Um, and I also kind of wanted to add a bit of personality to it, so I wrote um, a text renderer that uses the, an IBM CGA font with a graphics mode to render this uh, character set. Um, so how do I accomplish this? Well, it's kind of, there's two uh, layers. There's basically the machine language that does all the screen rendering and stuff. And, but the heart of this is actually a basic program 
since basic is such a flexible language, it just made sense to use that uh, to accomplish all these different tasks that you might want the launcher to do. It's very easy to just, you know, do yourself or change what's in there. Um, so when you first download this yourself, um, you would get an empty copy of this main basic program. And this is what it looks like here. So, so you can see right away that uh, this, this first section here is for defining the, the labels of the different options in the menus. So um, these eight here are just for the main menu. These are for launching custom ROM, like from flashbanks and stuff like that. I'll explain that in a second. But um, this is where you would define what the, that menu looks like. And then later on is where you actually put in the code you want to execute the functions. Um, I kind of put some empty placeholders here so that you kind of know. The way it's set up is like if you choose option number one, it'll jump to line 1000 and then you would put the code there for your option. Same thing with 1100, 1200. Uh, of course, you can go in and change. They're just the go-to statements, so you can change them to use other line numbers if you want. But that's the general idea is, um, you know, each option will bring you to a certain line number and then you can just have basic do whatever it needs to do. Really quick, I just loaded back my uh, custom one for my needs that I put together. Um, so once you, you've set all this up, all you do is run this program. Uh, it will automatically load the machine language program for the, to generate the menus and then transfer control over to that. And then you're into the menu. Uh, for the Coco SDC, there's a, a way to set it up so that the Coco SDC will look for a specific um, basic program on your main uh, disk image called uh, autoexec.bass, which is what this is. Um, and that's why this automatically comes up when I turn the Coco on, it runs this basic program. Um, and just so you know, you can't really run the machine language program directly. Um, and if you try, I added a little uh, funny trick in there. Um, actually, I think it will work now because Oh no, yeah, there you go, see, so um, it recognized it's not being run through basic program and tells you it doesn't work that way. That's kind of a neat the feature for the combo I programs. I explain about the launcher are these two sub-menus on the bottom. Um, the first one is to boot um, ROM banks. Like I said, a certain uh, hardware has uh, flash banks that you can set up, uh, like the Coco SDC, I believe, has eight that can be, you know, variants of disk extended color basic, or they can be, um, you know, game carts or other program packs. And this is a, a way that you can add basic code to to launch those flashbangs if you want. So I have a few versions of HTTP DOS as well as just plain vanilla. Nick, if you're testing, you may want to mute DOS here. So yeah, I know. The damn thing is kicking over there. Uh, the second one is for actually Wait, launching yeah. the ROMs on physical cartridges connected. Um, you can add basic code, um, there's various pokes and peaks and whatever, um, depending on the, the cartridge, to actually directly from basic launch them if you have a multi-pack interface. So this, this is just a menu um, to add the, that functionality if you want. Like let's say you wanted to launch the built-in terminal program on the RS-232 pack. There's a, a poke you could uh, add to this program to, to do that. So that's the gist of it. Um, but. 
But anyway, I hope uh, you find it cool or interesting, and uh, thanks for watching. So that's, that's a pretty decent little launcher program. I mean, he's got support for the multiple ROM. So he's got support for the multi-pack different slots if you want to launch software on there, plus all the Coco STC stuff. So I thought it was a pretty, pretty cool little, um, almost a suite, you know, for handling a lot of this kind of stuff. So if you really want to customize your system and set it up to boot, you know, like a lot of people customize, you know, the EXP command and stuff to, or the auto boot to automatically fire up, you know, say Nitrous 9 or a game or something like that. But this way, it gives you a nice little menu that you can actually pick several different things that you can kind of run through that auto boot or boot off ROMs and stuff. Whereas STC Explorer, I think, basically only does disk and hard drive images. I don't think it lets you boot from alternate ROMs or yeah. you know alternate ROMs in a multi-pack or something like that. So this is a bit more expansive. And nicely presented with the Cocoa 3 uh, graphics mode with a nice you know CJ-based font. And I so like the that's... fact that he had the uh, <clears throat> HDB DOS for DriveWire for use with the RS-232 pack. I, I knew you'd notice that, David. <laughs> I, I did notice he no longer has the, the Dragon DOS, which I think is one of the default ones in the SDC, too. So uh, apparently he doesn't have a Dragon to test it on. Hey, Rick, um, you can, uh, the video is actually on Facebook as the announcement, but if you want to download it, you can just go to his Dragon Bytes on GitHub, and uh, he's got the actual source code there, and even including the assembly source, and you can just go download it and have at it. Sorry, go ahead, Dave. No, I was going to say, I think Ed was the only one that had the uh, Dragon DOS for the SDC on his. I don't think um, anybody else currently has that image, because I don't think it's a default part of Darren's um, collection of pre-programmed stuff when you write it to the SDC. Oh, okay, yeah, so you think Frank's maybe doesn't have the Dragon DOS? I can't confirm that because I haven't asked him, but yeah, the the older SDCs I have do not have the uh, Dragon DOS on it. So Okay. I put it on mine for my Dragon. But you had to put it on. It wasn't there already. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, Frank, if you're still in the chat there, if you want to just let us know if that is built in, because I do, do know you do a fair bit of selling to the the European side of the pond there. Um, so I don't know if you include that as one of the you know default ROM images there, or if that's something you just have to add in yourself as well. Okay, next up, and Mikey is in the chat. Uh, Mikey says it isn't his. Now, Mikey, do you have one from Ed or do you have one from Frank? I guess is the first question. Um, but Michael also posted up uh, instructions how to get EOU running on the Cocoa 3 FPGA along with support modules needs to access its virtual hard drives, et cetera, because it does it a little bit differently than you know an SDC does, obviously. So I've just brought up here part of it, and it's kind of its instructions and, and you know how everything works. And um this is something he's had actually published for quite a while, though he's kind of tweaked a few bits of it here recently. Because um, there's a few modules in EOU that don't work with the uh, Coco 3 FPGA due to, I think it's Kern P2 or Kern, I can't remember, is a little too big with some of the extra features that were added in for the Coco 3 FPGA, so it doesn't quite fit. So they have to use just slightly older version. So I think stuff like the F string move. Uh, system calls using the much slower old code, but you're running at 25 megahertz, so are you really going to care? Um, but basically, he's got all this up here. Now, this was kind of a follow-up because he actually texted or uh, 
set messaged me about it here because Alan Murphy was actually working on his own blog posting on how he got it to run. And he kind of, you know, did it through exploration. I think he went back and forth with Mikey a bit as well. And uh, he's got this nice little uh, chart, I think, yeah, down here, where he kind of shows all the different modules as the boot file. And he mentions what source he took them from. So some of this stuff is just not different. So there's no point in replacing it. He's basing it on the FPGA default, Nitrous 9 3.30. So he's keeping like, you know, all the drive wire stuff here exactly the same. Because we haven't changed any of that yet. Um, and then he mentions which other ones he's replaced with EOU version. So current P2, that's the one that doesn't quite work correctly. But he goes through them all here and actually lists, you know, exactly where every module in the boot came from. And then, you know, kind of goes through his his way of going through things. Now, Mikey in the chat here is saying uh, it is worth making a video about. And I agree. Uh, for those people that do have the Coco 3 FPGA, uh, I think it would be nice to have a video just showing exactly what you had to do to, to build it up to get it to run properly on, on a Coco 3 FPGA. Because it does run really nice at 25 megahertz. I, I know Mikey's done some previous videos to show like how fast the bouncing ball demo is, for example, at 25, even versus the, the 6 or 9 or even the Gimme X at 3 megahertz. It is is quite a different speed. Uh, now he also says in the chat, Curtis, I forgot to know the drive wire version uses your current P2 and the SD card one uses the stock ones from Nitrous 9. Okay. Um, I'll have to figure out why that works one way, not the other. Anyway, there's a couple sort of tutorials here on how to get that running for those of you who have a Coco 3 FPJ or interested in getting one. Now, I don't know if they're still for sale, if that's one of the chip shortage things, because I know adzipsterzone.com is the person that usually sells it, even though you know it's kind of created by Gary Becker. I don't know if any of you guys know, is it out of stock on Zipsterzone these days? or I went do. looking up the them CLPDs that he uses at DigiKey, mm -hmm. and everything was zero. 55 models, zero each. So Okay, so that is one of the ones hit by the chip shortage. It's very likely that that's what everyone's still waiting on. The simple so stuff this coming back but the complicated stuff's still not around. Okay. So at this point, this is more for people that already have a Coke 3 FPGA, but want to try running EOU on. Like Nick. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. All the time. <laughs> Just hear that sarcasm. <laughs> Nick, sarcastic? Never. <laughs> All right, they both they both have really good write ups on it. I would love to see them collaborate and make a video with the you know both of them kind of testing things out or or showing how to do stuff. It'd be kind of cool as a collaborative project. Actually, just out of curiosity on the panel here, who here has a Coco Three FPGA? Me. Okay, Nick. Anybody else? I have one. Okay, David. Uh, Rick, you don't have one. I have a picture of one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that counts. No. <laughs> so just just two, eh? Uh, I think Alan has one, but he's obviously not here. So, well, Alan for sure does because I mean he's been kind of blogging his uh, progress here and posted some pictures in the Discord. And I think he was Thank actually you. going back and forth, with Mike, directly to figure out how to get some pieces running. And David Ladd is Captain Obvious. <laughs> Meow. Want to bring up Mikey? Well, Mikey obviously has one, yeah. Thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's Captain Obvious with an extra diet Dr. Pepper will have, you know. 
That's right, Curtis. Now, this is one I think I missed because this is actually a little bit older. This is actually from two weeks ago, and I think I missed it in the stories here. And I'm not sure who this is. So if anybody here knows or anybody in the chat knows, please let me know who this is. But it's it's under the name of uh, G4IA on Twitch, I believe it is. And they've got ringtones with a Coco theme that you can get. There's Temple of Rom and the Double Back. So it's two popular games. And there's like uh, mentions here on the screen, like the Temple of Rom has single beep, multi-beep, shoot in the intro song. Double Back has the intro song and a boop, as he calls it. Um, but these are basically free from itch.io uh, ringtones that you can do in your phone. It works with iOS and Android, so it doesn't really matter which which type of a smartphone you have. But you can actually change your ringtones to be based on some classic Coco games, which is kind of a cool idea. Um, your dyslexia showing it's Q4IA. What did I say? G4IA. Oh. Yeah, I was reading off my notes here, but it's it's highlighting it with that red underline saying it's a spelling mistake because it's not a word. Yeah, right. It's kind of hard to tell. <laughs> hard to tell, yeah. Where the descender is. Oh, yeah, it's up here in the corner, duh. Anyway, he's, he's also got a web link on here, too. And if you want the direct link to the Coco Tones here, you can get that on the Discord, uh, the notes for the news for this week. But he's actually got his own web page, too, which I'm sure he's got some other stuff on there, too. I'm like taking a close look. But that's, a, that's kind of a neat idea. I was curious, is there any other classic Coco games with some decent sound or music effects that you think would make good sets of ringtones? I think Dagrath would be awesome. Sound effects of all the monsters, that's what it should ring, you know. When the mother-in-law calls, you know, you hear the wizard coming at you or something. Frogger. Welcome aboard, Captain. Sea Dragon, okay. Nick, do you think any of your games would qualify? Sorry, what was that? I was sleeping. (laughs) What about Puyan? Yeah, maybe. Frogger (laughs) would work. I think, like, the the song for for a ringtone might work. Sound effects, some might. Oh, no, Nick, we were talking about these uh, custom ringtones based on classic Coco games. Do you think any of your games would make good ringtones for a phone? Either sound uh, effects or music. Well, my only game that has uh, music is my latest one, really. Well, Pipes does. Ah, yeah. It, yeah, okay. But then well, I, I mean, sound effects-wise, probably more because you don't want something playing for like... Yeah, yeah. No, but I don't have any unique, unique tunes, though. William Tell would be a good one. Yeah. Not a not a game, but um what's it called? Um Shock Trooper. Yeah, that would be good. That kind of V. And that's a unique tune, isn't it? Yeah, even some of the sound effects there, like when you're shooting the your your weapon and you're holding down the button there, you get that kind of effect. Sailor Man. materialize. That's an interesting thing. I'd never really thought until I saw this about ever using sound effects from a Coco game as ringtones on your phone. And because most modern phones or all modern phones can assign ringtones to different people, you can even, like I said, with Dagrath, you could recognize, you know, people that you want to hear is, I don't know, a potion being used sound or something like that. People you don't want to make sound like a, a bell rock or something. So I can, play on. I can play William Tell on my uh, car from my phone you just bluetooth it up or what yeah sounds good check it out 
Yeah. Next up, we have uh, James Diffendeffer's uh, Bitbangers blog, and uh, he's in the chat right now complaining about me being too long-winded and having no sense of time as Phantom okay. 8-Bit. And uh, so this one here is, um, he actually disassembled the uh, standard. There's a There's been a basic program floating around since 82 that basically converts us Cocoa 1 or 2 into all RAM mode and then copies the basic ROMs over so you can modify them. And he went through and disassembled it and commented it to show exactly how it works. Now, I did mention to him that Alan Huffman had done something similar to this recently and actually went through figuring out ways to optimize it either for size or for speed. Um, but for those of you who had missed Alan's, and Alan's got so many things on his site now, so many Cocoa-related posts, thanks to Septandy, that it's probably pretty hard to find the darn thing. So this might be actually easier to, to look up. But... Uh, this, this is something that basically you'd require 64K Cocoa uh, 1 or 2, doesn't really matter, or Dragon 64. I think this probably would be pretty similar. Um, but basically, it's, it's so you can modify the uh, the ROM code because you copy it to RAM and you can modify it. You can patch basic. You can add commands. You can speed it up, optimize it, 6309Is or whatever you want to do. So anyway, nicely done with the uh, commented code. Um, Alan has got some as well, so you can check out either one of those. Next up, uh, this is a newer user, Roger Cooper, at least new to me. Um, I think he's not even joined our Facebook Cocoa group for too long at this point, but he's actually kind of making the matrix rain effect. You know, the text characters are kind of rain down and change. And now Sockmaster had done a version of this for the Cocoa 3 decades ago, probably the late mid to late 90s, maybe. You remember, Nick, when that came out? Uh, no, I don't remember. Well, the movie didn't even come out till 99, so... Okay, it must be early 2000s, then. Because he came out with it pretty quick, and I've, I've, I've had it for years and years. But this one is actually one that will work on a Cocoa 1 or 2, and it's written in basic. So, he's got a little shot here of almost all the code, and he's got a little video just to kind of show the effect. Now, the other ones, like Socks, actually do multiple columns at the same time. This one here is kind of more doing one or two at a time. I don't know how well it's showing up, and it's a vertical shot, so I can't really zoom it up all that much. But you can kind of see it raining down as a character falls, and it changes the characters under it as it goes down. So kind of the, the same effect. I think, wasn't Socks uh, a graphic mode one? or Nope, no, his was 80-column text. Ah, oh, it was 80-column text, yeah. yeah. It's it's a neat effect, and it was you know kind of unique to the movie. I'll zoom up a little bit here, but I, I'm not sure it will make much of a difference. Yeah, he said it would work on a 16K. Yeah, where Sox requires a Cocoa 3. So it's, it's a neat little effect. <clears throat> and that, that movie, I mean, the first Matrix to me is one of the better movies I've ever seen, actually. It was a really, I really liked it. The second and third, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of started losing the path a bit there. Is a fourth? Yeah, I guess there is. I haven't actually seen it yet. Two and three disappointed me so much I didn't wasn't too sure if I wanted to see it or not. <clears throat> okay, next up, uh Steve Norton, who's also, I think, a more recent uh joiner on the Facebook Cocoa group. But he was a software developer with the Cocoa back in the day. So he published some software through Dataman International, which was a, can a company in Canada and the States. And they did Text Master and Print Master and Graphics Master which were a lot of enhancements and stuff for basic. Um, 
not all by the same people. Steve did the text master one. He said the graphics master was actually done by somebody else, but had some really cool features. Unfortunately, I don't know too much about graphic master. But uh, Steve here, he said he's lost the source code to this done in a TASM way, way back in 1985. But he's lost all the source code. So he's working on disassembling it. He did mention that. But he did find a disk image of the actual binaries running. So he's actually put that up on the Facebook group, uh, Cocoa group here. He's had to rename the extension because Facebook, for some stupid retarded reason, doesn't like zip files. So you have to rename it to unzip it. But he's actually got that and includes the demos. <clears throat> and the actual code itself, it requires a 64K Cocoa once again. What it basically does is adds a whole bunch of features done through character strings, uh, which I'll get into when I show you a little mini manual of it, uh, for doing heightened stuff with text. Uh, and there's a ton of options. There's even more than OS 9 Level 2 has. Uh, and this works from basic. And it sticks it up in the upper 64K, or upper 32K of 64K. So basically, it's only taking eight bytes out of BASIC itself. All the extra code is above disk BASIC. So it's using, you know, beyond the 24K. Uh, so you're getting a lot of functionality without taking space away from your BASIC programs. So you can go and download that. You can try the demo. You can write your own games and stuff in it. And uh, I hope it gets the source code done because that would be pretty cool to have as well. But I thought I'd show you here. So here's the, the uh, quick docs that he put up as a companion piece to it. He's released it to the public domain as of 2016. <clears throat> Excuse me. So basically, feel free to use it in your own programs. So I get a drink here. <clears throat> but he's got support for 32, 36, 42, 51, 64, and 85 characters per line. So differing with fonts. He supports the, the bell command for beeping on a control G. Um, destructive backspace. This runs on P mode 4, by the way. He's got inverse on and off. He's got a proportional mode, so your characters will shrink depending on how many pixels are actually used horizontally. So like a small I takes less space than a small M, for example. Uh, clear screens are standard CLS. Character turn standard. Cursor up, down, left, right. Though he does warn you left is not working proportional mode. Um, home cursor, which basically puts the cursor at the top screen without clearing it. He's got both bottom and top screen scroll protections. You can actually make a window in the middle or just the top or just the bottom. And if you do a CLS or any of the other printing commands, it won't destroy that part. So you can keep like a header or a footer or both while you're printing. Uh, invert the screen as a whole as opposed to inverse characters. Printer echo on or off, which means anything you type or list will go automatically to your printer. I don't think I'd use that too often. Uh, underlining on and off, smooth scrolling on or off, overtype. Um, or type through or whatever you want to call it, where you, you don't destroy the graphics underneath. Ken actually showed this during our uh, EOU demo, because that's one of the features in OS 9 Nitrous 9 as well. Uh, superscript and uh, subscript. So it basically it shifts the text line up half a line or down half a line. So you can shift it off if you have to do something like, you know, exponents or something like that. Uh, key click on and off. Custom keyboard on and off. So you can actually change some of the functions of the keys themselves. Upside down text, which is kind of interesting. And then he's actually patched some of the actual commands so they work on the PMO4 screen. So set, point, and CLS will now all work on this uh, graphic text mode. Set has been changed because now the vertical resolution, because there's smaller characters to fit more on the screen, actually allows you up to 48 rows of text, or 48 uh, rows of pixels instead of the 32 that's normal because the characters are a bit shorter. Um, point will return the point based on that new coordinates as well. 
And CLS will clear the screen with a binary value from 0 to 55. So it's not just a color. You can do the, you know, the bit patterns. You can actually do vertical stripes, et cetera. And then he does some other minor things here. He's got keyboard repeats. If you hold the key down, it keeps repeating the key. Key stroke click. So every time you tap a key, it clicks at you. Uh, you get the bell sound. If you get an error message, like syntax error, it'll beep at you to say it was an error. Uh, you place the OK prompt with ready, which you know just kind of reminds you that you're not running under something else. Uh, animated cursor instead of a color block. I'm not sure exactly what that looks like because I haven't tried it yet. Full-length error messages. So, I mean, most of us know an S and error is a syntax error, but there are some others that don't show up that often. You probably don't remember when you have to look them up to see what the heck they're talking about. This will actually print the full text, like syntax error, type mismatch error, et cetera. And then it gives him some technical details of where the fonts are stored, how many characters in the, are in the fonts, um, the cursors themselves. Um, it's a it's a pretty pretty decent package. This was a commercial product back in 85, 86. I did find some ads for it. In fact, I think I have one here. Yeah, so this is Data Man International. So those of you who were getting Rainbow in the 85, 86 timeframe probably remember this. This was a fairly decent full-page ad. And you can see they're mentioning Text Master here too. And they mentioned it's, you know, it's comp usable with Print Master, which is an older program. They did aren't emphasizing this particular ad. They also did some hardware stuff like a double-sided prototyping board here too, which is kind of interesting. <clears throat> And Graphic Master, not done by the same person, but sold from the same company, added 30 new basic commands, um, more versatile and operate up to 60 times faster than extended basic. So that looks like a pretty decent uh, package, too. It supported up to 32 software sprites, dual page flipping, vertical scrolling, polygon, and die. I'm not sure what that is. Are just the few features in the 60-page manuals included. So... I, if anybody finds that in their disc collection somewhere, I'd love to see that too and see exactly what's in it. And it sounds like these all work together so you could combine them if you wanted to get all the extra text commands, but you also wanted all the extra graphics commands. It sounds like you could use them in conjunction. So that would be really cool as well. Um, did any of you ever have I, any of these Graphic Master, Text Master, or Print Master back in the day? This is not a set of programs no. I ever saw back in the day. No, never seen it. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. And if anybody wants to, any of you basic programmers out there, other than the chat in the viewer land, listening land, or on the panel, want to try the the text one? It looks like it's got some pretty cool stuff in there too. So I mean, you can definitely make a decent adventure game with some of the scroll protection and stuff. Anyway, big big thanks to uh, Steve for releasing that. Uh, you know, basically legally free for anybody who wants to try it. Next up, we have Curtis Schuler. Now, this uh, he's talking about a BBS system he wrote for the Cocoa 3 in the late 80s to early 90s. Um, and he actually had it advertised a couple of the ones that were running at the time at three or 1200 baud. And he actually gave, you know, parts of the phone number. These are published in Rainbow. Rainbow used to have a BBS listing. You could submit your BBSs too. But he mentioned that he actually did a fair bit more to it than the original listing showed because he eventually got it running with ANSI color text. Uh, X modem, Y modem, and Z modem downloads. Um, simple online ASCII games with built-in word wrap. Um, he rewrote the serial port driver so that the Bitbanger could do up to 9600 baud, though it would occasionally glitch, and that's really pushing it. Um, ran on uh, support with RAM disks for 5128 Copa 3. He also supported uh, hard drives back at that time. 
um, which unless it was OS9, that was fairly rare. Or maybe if you had a Canton or something, maybe. And he mentioned that his BBS eventually ended up with a 512K Cobra 3 with a RAM drive and a 30 meg Seagate hard drive. So that's his one. I've never I've never logged on to it, but uh, it sounds pretty advanced for the time. I don't know if anybody here uh, ever encountered the uh, two that he had running at the time. Fox Communications was one and Dreamweaver was the other. Um, but I'd, I'd like to see the actual program because uh, that's pretty advanced from what I remember. Like mine, I think ran at 1200 baud and had online games, but I didn't support XY and Z modem. I think I had X modem and a little bit of ANSI and that was about it. This was a cool one. Uh, Ron Rogers posted a screenshot, and you can see at the bottom here, of a program that he wrote for his Cocoa back in 1987 when he and his wife were expecting their first child. It is a program to monitor contractions to see when might be a good time to head to the hospital. Uh, he made it very simple for his wife to operate. Basically, it's a joystick-controlled uh, logging of statistics, I guess, and she would click it once when the contraction started. And then click it again when the contraction ended. And it would kind of keep track of the stats. Are the contractions getting closer together? Are they lasting longer, et cetera? And then it would kind of guesstimate, you know, when when you should head to the hospital instead of, you know, giving birth in your car type thing. So, um, and he's got a little bit of a description here on the, on the Facebook post as well in the Cocoa group. Um, uh, saying, basically, I can't believe she really cooperated with this madness. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool. And this is the first time I've ever seen a contraction measuring tool on the cocoa. Has anybody else done anything anywhere similar to this for those of you that have, have kids? Uh, I did one on no. a P PC2 pocket okay. calculator. Oh, okay. That might, be, that might be good for counting my contractions when I listen to David Land. <laughs> Mailing. Oh, that's a vomit, though. <laughs> <laughs> David not on here to respond to that. I know, no response. He's asleep. Oh, no, he no, might have no. left actually. I don't see him These on here. People that fall asleep. We'll have to get fake David Ladd alias uh, Coco Man. <laughs> there it is. Really? <laughs> <laughs> David Lord in the chat says. You go when the pain becomes unbearable, the pain of her squeezing your arm. <laughs> <laughs> James says he had a very tolerant wife. <laughs> anyway, that, that's a bit of a unique one. A practical use for a cocoa, I will be honest. I mean, that did, that is useful information to keep track of, but uh, especially for that time period to it? convince a wife to do something like that with an 8-bit micro, that was probably a bit of a stretch. Sorry, go ahead. But did she actually use it? Uh, yeah. As he says, he, I can't believe she really cooperated with this madness. So she did use it. <laughs> wow. I don't know how accurate to real life uh, situation it was, but I th actually maybe he mentioned the comments here. Let's see. Riveting, I know. Uh, no, I don't see anything there. Nope, nope. Hey, in interesting and definitely a rather unique use. Next up, I won't play this because YouTube shorts suck trying to play on a live stream here. You can't control the volume. You can't rewind, blah, blah, blah. But basically, Alderson Computer did a quick little YouTube short uh, showing his uh, Cocoa 3 system that he's now got a Cocoa SDC and a mini MPI 4, and it briefly shows his MC10 as well. But he basically 
the text overlay that he's doing, that he's speaking, is talking about how the Coco started his career. And I think a lot of us have gone through that. Myself personally, um, that definitely started my career because I actually brought my Coco in from work when the PDP blew up. And it stayed on the Coco for the next 12, 13 years. Um, uh, how many other people here would say that your career started from using a Coco? I can go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started on uh, basic and ended up in OS nine, and that led into Unix, and that led me into the call center. Why well, I'm I still use, a call man? I used my cocoa in my business. Yeah, that's right. You did your sign business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nick, you were saying that's why I'm still a poor man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're still actively using it because you're, you're still selling games for it. You know, which is why you're course. far richer than the rest of us and can afford these big cars. So he's actually probably just has a Ferrari Fender. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jason, you kind of technically qualify too, I guess, because you, as CocoMan.biz, you still manufacture stuff at the CocoMan, so it's not your primary job. I Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> but did your current job, which does involve electronics, was that in any way inspired by the Coco, or did that kind of guide you in that direction, or did were you kind of doing that anyway? Uh... I was still working in the electronics industry, but um, yeah, I, I, maybe a little bit. I mean, but uh, okay. I Mark, obviously, you, you came into the Coco later, so that would you'd never be an Apple II in your case. But yeah, but yeah, same thing. I mean, I I knew when I got out of high school, I was going to do something with computers, and so I went and took programming classes in community college. And then eventually got into doing desktop support. And then I actually did some COBOL programming. And now I do programming embedded systems. Okay. And I don't know if Ken Waters is still there or still awake. Uh, obviously, you're doing some YouTube stuff uh, based on the fact that you had a Coco. But uh, did that lead you? In, uh, like, you kind of had a variety of jobs. And I don't remember how many of those would have been computer-related. Oh, I'm, I've used computers a lot in my jobs. But none of them have ever been computer-related. Okay. I mean, like I said, I, I think a, a fair number of the Cocoa community that's still active today definitely would say that the Cocoa was an influence or even a direct line to what they're doing now, myself included. Next up, uh, this has been getting discussed in the Discord. So William Assel, Lost Wizard, as he's also known, uh, and creator of LWASM and LW Tools, is doing a project similar to Tim Linder's, uh, uh, what does he call it, Squanchy Basic? So Tim's doing one to try to give you as much memory free in a basic. And what William's trying to do is trying to improve the basic and not so much worrying about the backwards compatibility of, uh, you know, if you want to jump into ROM routines and stuff here. But basically, he's, he's planning on some pretty big improvements. And he's doing a Cocoa 1.2 version and a Cocoa 3. These will be replacement basics, basically, uh, with syntax being fairly close. You know, if you, you know, loaded a program in. Uh, in ASCII mode, you probably would be able to get most of it running without too many changes. Now, he's very early on in this, so that may change. Um, but he's looking um, to have people help test some of this stuff here, and he's just started on it the last week or two, so don't expect too much in the current version, but you can go get it from his Mercurial site. Uh, he plans on having more text and graphics mode supported than regular Cocoa 3 Basic. He's going to be moving the disk buffers outside of the normal Basic RAM on a Cocoa 3, so it's got its own RAM elsewhere, which means you can get that memory back that basic steals from you if you have a disk drive plugged in about 2K. Um, 
He's thinking about adding integer variables. That'll work on the Cocoa 1, 2, or the 3. And for those of you who fiddle with integer variables on Basic 9, it makes a huge speed difference. Plus, it saves you RAM because the variables are a lot smaller. So this is uh, currently what he's got up there. And you can see, like, literally, this has been done from nine days ago, two days ago, 37 hours ago. And kind of given, you know, he's just getting through getting the keyboard repeat working. That's another feature he's going to have in there. But he's got another thing here kind of describing what is some of his his goals are. So um, the Cocoa 3 one, he's got a fair bit of stuff here. So first of all, the text modes, instead of supporting just 32, 40, and 80 column, he's going to have the 64 column mode. So you can actually do that as well. Uh, he's supporting graphics modes equivalent. So he's doing 256, 325, 12, and 640 across graphics, all of those. Um, Palette register setting, that's pretty the same. Graphics text screen located outside main program memory. That's basically the same as it is now. Disk I.O. buffers located outside main program memory. As I mentioned, that will definitely free up some, some RAM for your basic programs. Separate heaps for strings, scalars, arrays, and program text not limited in 64K space on this that's viewable by the CPU. So he's going to move some of that stuff outside too, also freeing up some RAM. Uh, RAM ROM copy at startup, initialization of Coke 3 specific hardware. Default into the 80 column text screen instead of the 32 column, which would be nice. Um, 609 support. We have talked to him about that. He might do that as a later one. He wants to do just the original 6809 one first, but he is thinking about doing a 6809 version later. Um, and like, like I said, he's got some standard things like you know, auto key repeat. He's actually using the keyboard IRQ to register when keys are pressed to you know leave some more time for the basic program to run rather than pulling it constantly. Um, but basically, it's, it's a work in progress. He's still taking kind of suggestions of, of things to, to put in, plus some things that he wants to do himself. And it's very early days. I mean, he's literally been doing this less than two weeks. But look forward to trying that. Uh, next up, Tim Lindner. I don't think he's still on the call anymore either, is he? Nope. So he uh, actually had uploaded this video years and years ago. Now, for those of you that <clears throat> have been going to Cocoa Fest for the past few years, uh, not including the COVID era, uh, Tim Lindner, when he still worked at a print shop, actually created uh, replacement boxes for the uh, program packs that Tandy sell, the silver boxes that all folded up and the cartridges fit in with room for the manuals, etc. And he had run a run of a thousand or something like that at the print shop he used to work at. That basically is an exact duplicate and it's all die cut out so you can fold it. But one thing he had never released publicly, and he created this video literally years ago, was how to fold and glue it together so that actually turns into an actual box like Tandy's. You get this sheet that's kind of die cut out and it's wide, it's a foot wide or whatever. And there's all these little parts you have to like fold in and tuck in this tab into this hole, etc., to get it to properly go. So this is actually him finally making public uh, the video that shows you actually how to do that. And uh, he still sells these, and he's got a description in the uh, YouTube here if you want to order some of them. And I think he's still got hundreds of them left. So these are actual, pretty well exact duplicates of the original Tandy ones. So if you have picked up at a flea market or your own versions of these boxes are heavily damaged or ripped or torn, and you want to get them into a nice, clean, pristine box again, you can get these, and it basically looks pretty well exactly the same as the Tandy ones. I will not play the whole video, even though it's two and a half minutes. I'll just uh, skip it ahead here so you can kind of see what we're talking about. So here you can kind of see the uh, 
spread out version of it here with the different parts. It's even got the whole punches for like for the main manual of the spine of the cartridge itself. And then he kind of just goes through and shows exactly what to fold where and what whatever to to get it going. And uh, eventually it turns into the exact box that Tandy did. So any of you that uh, want to replace some of the boxes that you have, because they are, you know, fairly rare. Tandy didn't sell these separately. So it's not going to pick them up unless you get a cartridge. But uh, you can actually replace and get it back into pristine shape. And uh, like I said, you can order the boxes from Tim. You still got lots left. Next up, we have uh, a Jim Gary thing that's not a game. So it's in the regular news instead of the game on news. And this is another really old, ancient uh, program that's converted. This is originally a 1977 program, originally by a guy named Sam Lundwall. Um, and he based the version that he poured to the MC Tenure on a slightly later version by B and A. Laurie, originally published in Practical Computing December of 1979, so a couple years after the original. And it's called How to Write a Sci-Fi Novel, and it randomly generates really short science fiction stories. Now, I have noticed it seems to favor dystopian outcomes. And uh, given the world we live in these days, that's probably accurate. Uh, but I'll just run and let you see. It basically creates like a one-line or a one-paragraph mini science fiction novel from basically mixing random phrases and words together. Sometimes they're humorous. So here, here's the first story for the audio listeners. Earth is struck by a giant comet and destroyed. The end. <laughs> so I'll let it uh, randomly generate another one. Earth freezes and everybody dies. The end. You can notice the dystopian part kicking in here. Here's a longer one. Earth is attacked by tiny little Beetlejuicean superpersons with festering boils on their bottoms. We're friendly but misunderstood, so they turn us into rolls of bright blue flowery carpet, the end. So there's some pretty bizarre stuff that comes out of here. It's almost like this is a really, really attempt at doing AI or something to try to generate a, a random story or something. It's it's kind of a silly experiment, but it's it's from the early days, so it's kind of, I guess, historically a little bit interesting. Anyway, there's a lot of stupid little stories you can get in there. Obviously, you can expand the vocabulary. Okay, on to some Dragon news. So Julian Brown, who's been working on the replacement Dragon 32 motherboard, um, unfortunately, he mentioned that he had a bit of a setback, and he has to order some new prototype boards again, which will take a couple of weeks. Um, he discovered he might have fried every chip. I think he did figure out later he did not fry as many chips as he thought. But basically, he did something very wrong at an early stage, I think in the power supply. See, I know you mentioned in here. Yeah, because John Whitworth was asking, and of course, John Whitworth's the guy who created the Super Sprite FM Plus board. He said, ouch, can I ask what the error was? And Julian replied, something I should have spotted on day one. The plus five volts and minus five volts were swapped on the power connector. I'd like oh. to blame the SA2120 schemas as the print is almost indecipherable, but still not excuses given for all the other resources I had in hand. It was all fine using my bench supplies. I just followed the markings on the board, plugging in a real PSU is possibly a bad idea, though. You can guess the rest. <laughs> so for you hardware types there, can you explain what would happen if you cross those? Uh, lots of smoke. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> all of your polarized capacitors are hooked up backwards and all of your silicons hooked up backwards. And yeah, that would not be good. Yeah. He does mention on the plus side, I now know why I was seeing the strange voltage after the first fuse blew. 
Oops. Like I said, in, in a later post, I did see that he mentioned it sounds like the fuse actually did protect a lot of the chips. So because he was really expecting like pretty well the whole board, all the components would be blown. And that doesn't seem to be the case. He actually still has some functioning chips, but he is waiting for new boards that are going to take a couple weeks that fix the problem. And then John Whitworth here, he did an update on his uh, prototyping board. You may remember it was a week or two ago we discussed that he had this thing so you could actually prototype hardware boards that go in the cartridge uh, selector on a Dragon or a Coco. So two things happened. One, he decided to name it. He's called the 6809 Super Bob. And apparently Super Bob is actually a copyrighted name in Australia, but it's not computer related. So he thinks it should be legal to use that because it's in completely different industries. I, Nick, you being the only Australian on the panel, do you know what Super Bob is? Nah, never heard of that. Okay. And the other thing he's done here, and I'll, I'll just read him verbatim here because I don't understand this hardware stuff, but um, the eagle-eyed amongst you may have noticed that I'd introduced a considerable constraint into the prototype Super Bob, but it will still suffice as a prototype. Put simply, I'd left the CPLD global pins connected to the address bus, basically the same configuration as I'd used for the Super Sprite board. That's all well and good for simple port mapping, etc., but for any more active usage of the CPLD, including clocks, flip-flops, etc., the global pins should be free for use. Anyway, another good few hours of rerouting, and these pins are now freed up and available for use. I've also added the Coco cartridge pin equivalent names for P2 and DSD, as well as moving the left-hand power rail socket in a bit, and put the 6X09 and Dragon Coco compatible logos on. So, for you hardware guys, please explain to me what all that means. So, when you're using the more advanced features of these chips, some of your inputs and outputs are kind of restricted. So some of them are inputs only, some of them are outputs only when they used to both go either way. You may want to, you know, store. So like when you have a flip-flop, there are pins that may not be connected to anything that still need to be there to store the intermediate results of your flip-flop, things like that. So you can't just tie up all the pins, connecting them to address buses, and then they're just stuck there. So leaving them free, you can always hook them in later, but since they're not committed, you can use them for these other functions as well. So that's a definite improvement. Okay. And I've zoomed over the board here. Hopefully you can read it, Rick. It kind of describes grab some um, you know, double header connectors that looks like you can configure different pieces there, or maybe it's for testing, I'm not sure. Um, so he's he's broken the bus out under these headers. So you can then jump into your uh, breadboard here and add your own components. Um it looks like he's got a ROM socket there for you already, so you don't have to worry about hooking that up. Just pop in whatever programming you need. This is a really cool you board. Little, you get little jumpers like this that have two pins on each end, so you can go from the little female sockets to the proto board. Okay. Cattail is not included. I will buy one. <laughs> I may buy several. This looks like fun. And some comments from 60 in the chat here. He says, there are a few pins with special functions like reset or clocks that it's useful to have access to. But they can be used as normal I.O., which is what he's done, meaning they can't be used for their special internal purpose. That's part of my whole, uh, this whole cluster here was moving some pins I'd already committed to different places. So I could use those pins for logic functions just to wedge in a little latch. So okay. So are nice. these, these ones he's labeled as CPLD I.O. pins? Is that what we're referring to here? No, so he said he 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 had left the address bus is always connected. Okay. 
And that would have been a problem if you needed to use those pins for something besides being an I.O. pin. You couldn't ignore it anymore. You needed to use it, but it's connected to the address bus. So he's taking that problem away. And I assume you just jump them in and then they work if you need them. Okay. Michael Furman is pretty impressed because he says, take my money in all caps in the chat. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, because he inherited this from his super sprite design, he needed the pins connected the way they were. And then the oversight is, oh, I don't need to do that for this one. So let me fix that. We can keep those. Yes. <laughs> so this, this is something for designing your own cartridges, basically, right? Is that what it essentially is for? And interfacing a CPLD to a Cocoa or? Whatever kind of odd hardware thing you want to do that you can fit in that breadboard. You can interface to your cocoa without having to do the whole pile of stuff that I do to interface a breadboard to a cocoa. So this would be something even useful for you as a hardware designer then. Exactly. Cool. It's it's a lot easier to write a program than to move wires around. So. <laughs> <laughs> as a man of very few soldering skills, I totally agree. <laughs> Yes, anyway, we're looking forward to this. I mean, John's doing this while he's getting leukemia treatment. So that's, I mean, that's pretty impressive in and of itself here. But the fact that he's actually coming up with stuff that is really useful to the hardware designing community. Um, that's that's awesome. And this must, this must mean the super breakout board. It can mean nothing else. What do you mean by super breakout board? It's a breakout board. It breaks all of the connections out into accessible sockets for you. So this is the super. Oh, okay. So you mean. Doesn't it lack LEDs? You get to put them in yourself. Put in all the yeah, LEDs. That's what all those pins are for, Ron. Pick your own LED, color. LED, 680 ohm. That's all you need. Hmm. <laughs> David Ladd in the chat says, with all these new things coming out, I need to set up a GoFundMe account. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> And anyway, I'm definitely going to be following this because from what you guys have been saying here, this sounds like a really cool thing to help hardware designers. So, I believe David the other Ladd, thing David Ladd post your Christmas list. David Ladd uh, also be going, ooh. Yeah. And what would you say, Mark? David Ladd, post your Christmas list. <laughs> you have friends. When did that start? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> Oops. Really? <laughs> Next up, we have uh, Matt Davies, who actually won the Ghost Rush, uh, Ghost Rush Gaming Challenge at the 40th Anniversary Dragon show that they had at Port Talbot. Uh, and this was kind of a hand. Was it, what, what, we figured out to be cross-stitch or something. I can't remember now. Something. But basically, it's a nice framed picture of, of, of Ghost Rush itself. And he's actually got it put in a pride of place on his wall. Um, and the ironic thing, of course, is that Matt is a Spectrum guy. Um, <laughs> but we're slowly converting them over to six and nine and superior. Yeah, well, life isn't fair. <laughs> it's it's like me getting beaten by Buck Owens all the time in the game on challenges here. And that is the end of the news this week. That's your cue to wake up, Mark B. I'm getting oh. there. <laughs> <laughs> And we were hoping he'd go for another hour. Was a, there was a lot of news this week. So, yeah. Also, Ken, do you have time to stick around a little bit after the show? I have to discuss something with you. Sure. Okay. Oh, so what do we want to do now? 
I don't uh, think we have anything else planned. I mean, we've mentioned that we are going to be, there's a part three in the final part of the Nitro Nine anniversary special. I've got a list of the people that have contributed from David Ladd. Thank you very much, David, for providing that list. I'm kind of going through and figure out what everybody did, what time frame it's in. And then I'll start trying to invite some guests to get that. That'll probably be beginning to mid-December. I'm going to try to make it not on the same time. We're going to have Erico and one and uh, Luciano coming on to talk about all the Brazilian cocoa stuff. That'll be a separate date because I don't want to make a six-hour show because James Zipdapper is already complaining. This one's too long. Uh, oh, David's back. Well, time I had to I only able? had to step away for a short time. Okay. Here, here come the contractions. Well, David, I actually, since you're actually on here now, you, you, I take it you really like that uh, breadboard thing too, then. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> what, Nick? <laughs> but other other than those two upcoming uh interview shows um i don't have anything special planned till the end of the year um so and i don't have specific dates for either of those or even who the guests will be for the uh 30th it's gonna depend on who's available who wants to talk about it and what time zone they're in who would not want to talk about it well exactly besides nick but he's a what do they call him? A conversion? Well, we can always bring in the floppy drives and put Nick to sleep. Oh, no. Oh, yes, okay. Nick. Ron, you need a Coco 3 behind That's you as well. That's the button, Frank. Yeah. All right. Here's the outro. have a nice, colorful background. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer, MC-10, and Dragon systems. For all things Cocoa Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocoa Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weaver, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Lang, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Ulin, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Cocoa Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Cocoa Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. 
both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever! Okay, we're back. Any last minute things? My Nothing wife for is me. Making, um, cookies and I have to I'll leave. take David Ladd to block. Okay, well, uh, I thank you everybody for joining us today, and we hope you had a great time. Please join us next weekend for our next episode. And Thank also you. join us Thursday night for the live Game On Challenge featuring the game. Take it away, Ken. Um, oh, God, what are we playing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't surprise him like that. You see what happened? Ah, ah, uh, we're playing Stinger. <laughs> That's priceless. <laughs> it, it is posted in the uh, Game On Challenge uh, with a small bit of instructions. In the channel on Discord. We'll just blame your bandwidth this week for that, uh, Ken. Uh, sure we will. <laughs> yeah, apparently I'm contagious. Bye. <laughs> See you Bye. next week. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.